This is Justin Smith of Palmetto Coast Exotics. And this is Jacob Brass with Longleaf Fertilia, and you are listening to the Herpeticulture Podcast, which is part of the Herpeticulture Network. Enjoy. So I don't know. Me and Phil were there talking we about it Monday, and I really. <laughs> hey Google, turn on the snake room lights. The future is now. Hey. Whoa. <laughs> now we're good, indefinitely. Skynet man, is going live. I need to. I need to get on that. Boy, damn. That it's cool. nice, man. Yeah. It, I just have my light cycle set for the room like that. So. That's fantastic. The, light switches. the clapper yeah. for, for. Yeah. New millennium. <laughs> I've got um I've got one of those cheap timers sitting on a um on a power strip behind my cage over there that does my UVB. So I give okay, him, yep. I give him UVB exposure for like three, four hours a day. And so it just pops on and off. My girlfriend was sure. in here earlier while I was cleaning and the light chucked off and she was like, Was that supposed to happen? And I was like, Yeah, it's on a timer, it's fine. But that's that's fancy. That's fancy. Mm-hmm. We need to get on that level. One day, but just yeah. a couple of cheap know. smart bulbs that plug right into the main fixture. Smart I don't know. You ever worry that too much automation is it like? I guess it's it's one thing if it's a convenience thing, but when it gets to the point where we like rely on it, and then machines take over, then we're kind sure. of no. That's them. that's definitely going to happen. I mean, <laughs> we're Elon just, Musk we're called just it blissfully living our lives as best as possible until then. You know, yeah, it's it's slowly. <laughs> There's nothing we man. can do to stop it. Yeah, no, it's slowly happening. Machines are the are the future. You know, Parkers. You can barely find a Parkers running people running actual registers there now. So, but. No, that's a gas station down here. Yeah, people that may not know. Uh, but this is episode 173 of THP. We are back. It's been like two weeks between Jake being sick and my internet being nothing but problematic, which we actually don't think it was the internet. We think it was StreamYard because Phil was having issues too. Um, seems to be fixed now so far. Yeah, because we recorded two weeks ago. We did that live stream and yeah, some people and that, popped in, but we didn't get to post it. So I didn't even upload the audio because none yeah. of the audio was working. So that is like technically 172. I just carried it on with 173 here. So yeah, whatever. So, it can be a lost episode. But yeah. So the people who caught the live stream, congrats. You are the only ones I got to see got to hear that. That train those of you that actually sat through it yeah yeah dude there's people waiting after like 10 minutes of us figuring out the internet there's still people waiting on us to come back i was like oh god thank bless you <laughs> uh, this episode is brought to you by blackboxcages.com check them out facebook instagram i started putting together my xt4 for the ackies today i got it built i got it sealed with the silicone uh, Katie helped me film, so there's going to be a video and assembly. This this was sent to me by Jen for an assembly video to show people sort of how to do it. Uh, this is the first cage I've actually had to build since I got a two-foot cube from pvccages.com when he was still doing cages years ago. And this four was freakishly easy to put together like i am not mechanically inclined when it comes to a lot of these things you are not like, neither this am I. thing this thing went together like nothing like it was so easy butter yeah straight butter 
just like their racks, boy. Like all the screws, none of them went in weird or at any funny angles. Everything went in like no problem. Like it was just the whole thing. I was I was honestly very surprised because I, a lot of times when I have to put together cages, I'm like, I'm gonna mess something up, or I'm gonna do something wrong, or I'm gonna miss something, or there's gonna be a hole or like a pilot hole that's off or something or another where I'm just gonna have to like wing something to fix it. Not the case. Yeah at all and i'm saying and, that as unbiased as possible like this was yeah. ridiculously easy to put together everything came in shipped perfectly no issues with doors or anything like that just and so that like and again this isn't me talking bad about another company by any means uh, but prior to black box i was going through reptile basics for my cages and racks and the racks came assembled um, my four foot cages came in a flat pack where I had to put them together and literally both times I ordered cages like it was granted they're sitting over there stacked now with my carpets in them and they're fine but there's something wrong with both of them like they don't stack properly um, the screws went through one of like the holding like the separating parts to stack the cages uh, one of the screws kind of went through that so they don't stack right one of them came like the screw kind of came stuff. out yeah it's it came out the side stuff. a little bit and with both both of them the doors don't fit right like they they go in but i can't lock any one at once i have to lock the two sides and then the middle because the middle won't go without the two sides going so like it's just like yes they work but it's not it's not smooth and again that's not me talking bad about reptile basics the gauges are fine but like that they little stuff, that agent. little, no, they ain't black box like that, you know, period. They're not black box equipment, you know, and that coming from Smitty with that, like that, that goes a long way because like it's, if you get them, you know, from other companies, if you get them assembled, then that's, you know, they're, they're a little better off. But if you have to build them yourself, they're usually from my experience, it's been both times something's, something has been wrong to make them not perfect, you know, and mm -hmm. We the like doors, our stuff perfect. So if you want doors perfect, on this, you go back box. come assembled, comes with the little knobs already on it, comes with the hinges yeah. already on it, all the clasps to lock it, the to lock the doors, like those are all on there. So you don't have to do nothing, but put it all together. You'll see it in the video. So I'm going to post that at yeah. some point. Um, I put it together. It's curing right now. So all the silicone and stuff is, is drying. Yeah. Um, tomorrow I'm going to put the lights in, I'm going to do a video on that. So it's going to be like a three part thing. So the assembly, the lights, and then putting in all the stuff in the Ackies themselves. Um, so it'll be, I don't think I'll release them all at the same time. I'll definitely do like the assembly and the lighting one. I'll release those. And then sort of once I f finish getting it together and get the Ackies in it, cause I have to wait for the light bulbs to get kind of come in for the, the lamps, the heat bulbs, uh, then, or I may not, I don't know. I have the UV, so I could still plug it in and just put in like a, a, a regular LED bulb for the time being, just to show people the whole thing. But, um, yeah, I'm pretty sure I have everything I need in terms of substrate and things like that to make a mixture and it'll be good. Uh, nice. I'm excited. So it'll look nice. I'll finally be able to, Sort of move some stuff around, yeah. and uh, you can have that AP cage back. That's been basically a really nice stand for every other <laughs> for all the black box cages that are on top. That's pretty much what it's going to be for me. I'm going to put it put it under the other four footers I have and stick something in there. But... Like I've literally yeah. just ripped it open, and that's where I've just been storing like empty stuff. Yeah.
No, yeah, that's when so, that's an old cage too, man. I got is, that. I got that from a buddy who had it for several years, it, and he gave it to it, me. It did its job. It's but it wrong. but it ain't black box. Let's it let's ain't face black it. Box. No, none of these are black box, man. Every time I open one of my cages or deal with one of my other racks, I'm like, damn, I wish this was a black box made, man, because it. Every, everything else I own, like something else, something just doesn't fit right. It's either too tight, too tight. I spill water, like it's just kind of wobbly. Like, but my black box stuff, dude. I mean, it's it's far none, man. You can't you can't beat it. The only thing I am I am <laughs> concerned about with the Ackies in this is them scratching up the windows. Well, I mean, there's nothing you can do about there's that. There's nothing I can do. Okay. Did you get glass or like the plastic for that? No, it's a, it's a plexi. It's acrylic. Plexi. Yeah, no. I didn't know if they offer glass and acrylic or not. Do they sell replacement it. doors? You can I'm swap sure. it out. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure I can. If it really get gets bad over time. Yeah, they would definitely send you one if, if needed. Because I know you, there's sure. like the polish stuff you can do, but I've heard that's it takes forever because there's like three different things you got to put on it just to make it normal again. And right. I don't know. So we'll see, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm super pumped. Um, definitely planning a trip up there again here soon. Um, yeah. my buddy, Justin it's... Olson just moved down to, to our area from Minnesota and he came over last weekend and saw the bio G's and, and the rhino rats. And so now he wants both, uh, because I mean, they're rhino rats. Yeah. in bio g's which we're gonna get into rhino rats here in a few so yeah, yeah, yeah. um check out black box cages check out their website blackboxcages.com facebook and instagram all that good stuff and then go get yourself some hot sauce some steve snakesbury and his venom hot sauce help him out you buy his hot sauce you're helping him with all of his public outreach uh relocations rehabilitations he uses it to help take care of his own collection that he uses for that public outreach and the education so Hit him up, stevesnakesray.com. Yeah. And, uh, and that's that's one of the cool things about Steve, man, is like he doesn't, as far as I know, he doesn't breed anything. You know, he just kind of has a ton of snakes. Like he has a bunch of stuff, but, you know, he's not, he doesn't breed anything. He keeps because he loves keeping. He works with these animals because he loves working with these animals, you know, and that's, you know, and at least in my opinion, that's something kind of still unique to find with somebody that keeps in a mass quantity, at least, you know, normally people have a lot of snakes, they're, they're breeding, you know, but Steve, I mean, as far as I know, he doesn't really do. I'm sure with his work schedule, yeah, he kind of can doing his job where he's, you know, first responder and stuff, his Mm -hmm. schedule probably doesn't jive too well with, uh, with all that and babies and stuff. So, yeah so. but uh he's a good dude yeah he's awesome his hot sauce is really good yeah it is fantastic cotton mouth sauce where it's at boy cotton mouth sauce is exactly where it's at gotta try it gotta try it um so this week i'm very excited because we get to talk S- rhino rats and russian rats nothing better yeah and colubrids and, cool ge- and colubrids in general i mean come on Let's... um we are joined this episode by mr pj cone of handmade herps uh, so it's funny when I posted that that you were going to be on the show tonight. I had a handful of people, Doc Wyman being one of them. Um, oh yeah, and they were like had nothing but great things to say about you. They were like, "He's a, an absolute class act." And uh, Sean Porter, I think too, was like East Michigan's finest. Yeah, are you in East Michigan? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm in Southwest Michigan, uh, okay. more east of him though. Maybe so, that's. I mean, he, he's, I he's as West Michigan as you can get, so everything's. Oh, east Michigan okay. Him. Yeah. 
Well, I'm from Wisconsin, so you know, okay. Yeah, I, I respect Michigan. Yeah, I respect yeah. Michigan. Yeah, at least you're not in Detroit. So. Like, yeah, Michigan and Wisconsin are are pretty uh mutual. Yeah, we're pals. There, it's not like yeah. it's Ohio or Indiana or something. Yeah, yeah. or it Illinois. Could, could be worse. It could be Ohio. Yeah, <laughs> 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 as long as you're not Ohio or Illinois, we're good. But Wisconsin, Michigan, yeah, we're buddies. Yeah, yeah cool. <laughs> but you're surrounded on all sides. Like Israel. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. No, I'm still mad we haven't taken over that little section that y'all own across the lake, but it's all right. The, the UP? Yeah. Yeah. You can have it. It's all right. We don't need it. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. So we're glad you're here, man. But, yeah. Glad um, to be here. I guess we'll we'll start sort of with the usual I hate the usual intro stuff as far as like how you you know how you got into reptiles and all that so i wrote sort of in the outline it can be a brief or not so brief sort of your history with herpetoculture and why like what you're focused on currently and and why those things sure better yet how you started versus how you've developed yep yeah, there's definitely a lot of differences there yeah so yeah despite you hating this question hopefully you won't hate my answer so We'll get I, I never won't. It's just like you listen to every other yeah. podcast now, and it's like, how'd you get into reptiles? And it's always yeah, like, but it's also my snakes, favorite question, man. Yeah, I think like, a lot I of people love, love listening to those parts. Yeah, I love hearing. I love hearing the the beginnings of everybody because yeah, even though it's like we all might have a very similar base, everybody has their own kind of thing that makes it you know unique to them. So it's one of my favorite questions personally. So sure. Yeah, so I, I feel like some of my, my roots will be similar to a lot of people, some pretty different. So I was probably a, a late bloomer as far as herpetoculture goes, but definitely early on really interested in animals in general. Like as a little kid in the summers, instead of going to like sports camps or things like that, I actually went to our school that had like the day program for kids and mm-hmm. um, growing up was just, yeah, really into all animals in general. It was I was like the little the kid that impressed everyone with all the animal facts that they knew that I thought was probably way cooler than anyone else thought. Um, and I didn't really have any reptiles growing up. Um, we had other pets, but um, my parents just weren't super into the idea of having reptiles in the house. And I would say that voice really filled in my younger years by being really into, into Pokemon. Um, there you go. Oh, okay. Games and stuff like, I, I feel yeah. like that, that was uh, it. It planted a lot of the seeds for kind of the the future yeah. obsessions that grew into reptiles and a, a much could, more real. I can totally thing. see. I could totally yeah. see that, man. That's actually the first I've heard that. You know, everybody's like, yeah, hey, yeah. I feel like everyone talks about like, oh, I love dinosaurs. Exactly, dinosaurs yeah. is always the example. And uh, yeah, dinosaurs are cool, but it, it was Pokemon for me. That's awesome. I love it. Yeah. So my first uh, herp didn't actually come in until I was 18 years old. I got a leopard gecko from the local pet store, and um, the fascination was there the knowledge was not so a couple of years into having that unfortunately metabolic bone disease and and i just i didn't know what i was doing with gut loading and dusting properly so that was also a great motivator to actually do a lot of the learning um so that was post high school that i got that animal um i went to michigan state university i got there and while i was there i got involved with the herpetology club and snakes were something I always thought were pretty fascinating, but again, not having them growing up and like my family wasn't super into them. I, I heard a lot of the scary things about them growing up and 
So not having experiences for myself, it was like, yeah, they're cool, but I wasn't necessarily going to go out and want to handle them all the time or have them for myself. But getting involved in that herpetology club, I met other reptile owners on campus and had snakes and um, that just gave me the opportunity to learn about them more and interact with them more. And I eventually uh, just kind of got the bug and started really deep diving into that interest. And, and this was very much in the era of, uh, you know, earlier snake bites TV and a bunch of the early reptile YouTubers. Mm-hmm. Um, I was pretty active on the Bush League, the Bush League <laughs> Breeders Club boards at that time as well. Um, uh, fortunate to only live like a two and a half hour drive away from Tinley Park. So um, when NARBC was coming up in 2012, I went down there with a friend and that was when I actually got my my first snake ever, which was a rhinoceros rat snake. Yeah. Um, and I smuggled that into my dorm room along with like four other animals that I wasn't allowed to have any of them, but uh, made it work. And I, that actually wasn't a, a record of just four animals. I had a buddy that lived in another dorm and he a dozen that were just like hidden in drawers and he had a rack system in his closet and everything so it was uh nice. yeah kind of the thrill of of the danger of that um <laughs> but yeah that that first rhino rat snake just started in a, a critter keeper unheated right on the desk in my dorm room uh, and she did great in there um hey, i'm sure i'm sure she loved it yeah and so i throughout the next couple of years post-college um uh, I actually, my first job out of college was a zookeeper uh, at Binder Park Zoo in Battle Creek, Michigan. Um, and I'd say it was this kind of personal interest in herps and learning all about them that actually landed me that job because I was just interning there initially. But the herp guy left while I was there for an internship and they needed someone that had that knowledge. And they knew I was, uh, they'd essentially been interviewing me for these several months of the internship. And mm-hmm. so they offered me the spot and I, I stuck around. I was there for and a half years um and so then outside of zookeeping i was growing my own collection at home and and so i had this one rhino rat snake i ended up getting a male um a little bit down the road but of course at that time uh i I was heavily on the the blbc again the bush league breeders club and so pretty much all the talk there or the majority of it was ball pythons and crested geckos and things like that and um reptile radio was was the big podcast and yeah. again, mostly ball python talk. And so my collection actually started with mostly ball pythons and, and crested geckos. Um, and I started to grow that for a little while. Um, definitely a lot of interest in them. Uh, and then uh, after a couple of years, some life stuff hit and I just had to get rid of all animals for a little while, including that pair of rhinos. But Luckily, those those went to a good friend of mine. So I actually now have lineage from that original pair in my um, and it was maybe a year, year and a half without any animals. And I started to rebuild a collection over again. And this time old world rat snakes was really the focus. Um, and let's see, starting out again, it was out of Tinley. I got a, a trio of rhinos and a pair of cocci bamboo rat snakes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know at that time I definitely had an interest for, I wanted Mandarin as man. Like tell like the green of the the rhinos, the red of the bamboos, and the yellow of the mandarins. It was almost like this stoplight theme going on. Yeah, the, <laughs> the red, yellow and the the green. Yeah. Um, 
And yeah, it started with one small rack system. And eventually, you know, you guys know how it goes just over the years, more and more animals catch your interest, more come in, you have opportunities to work with cool things. And um, that kind of led to the collection I have today, which is definitely mostly old world rat, black milk snakes as well. Um, and then just recently started getting into some hognose, Western hognose over the last couple of years. Yeah. Man, you know, I know if it's it's funny, I never the thought of, of a rhino rat as a first snake for some yeah. reason I hadn't really thought of that. Like what a perfect species yeah. for that. Especially if they're, you know, obviously if it's a neonate, and it's it, a little different. That yeah, and it really it was eating pinkies off the tongs, but mm-hmm. yeah, again. Like it doesn't I don't know that it gets much better than that. It was room temperature, super interesting. I was definitely the coolest kid in the herpetology club bringing that thing back. Because it was something that, yeah, at, at 2012, yeah. especially, a lot of people had seen them. Um, but they'd seen them in pictures or online, but not right. actually seen them in person. So, Yeah, and I mean, it's one of those, like, I feel like rhinos, rhinos are perfect for the guy that's done, like, as a first snake, perfect for the guy who's done a bit of research. Because yeah. if you if you try too hard with rhinos, it sounds like they'll crash. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They're one of those, like put it in a cage, leave it at room temperature and don't really don't put too much effort into it. You know, I feel like if you put too much effort into a rhino, it's not going to do that well. But you know, that's coming from a guy who doesn't keep rhinos, but they don't need a lot (laughs) to to be, to be content, you know? Right. Right. It doesn't take much to keep them happy. And I I love them, man. Yeah. I can't. Cool. It's one species gonna... where I wish I could have an entire room of them mm-hmm. yeah. and just love every single one of them. You know? Yep. And it's super exciting too. Like once you get into breeding them and producing your own, cause like you have no idea what your holdbacks are going to turn into. And I guess right. it's the same for like chondro guys or a mm-hmm. lot of animals that do develop more over time. Um, Bairds. Yep. Yeah. So it's a little bit of yeah. a luck of the draw and just getting to see them develop over so what is it in particular about old world colubrids that sort of drew you to them over, over other stuff? Yep. Did you guys question? Roro Raggy. BJ, can you hear us? Stream yards playing games. Once again. We were doing so can you well. Hear us? So yes. I apologize in advance. Yeah, I can hear you now. My uh, oh, okay, there we go. Been taken like, I was going to say, yeah, moments of lagging, and then it catches up. So stream your struggle okay. amongst yourselves if when that happens. <laughs> but yeah, man, old world colubrids, um, the rat snakes specifically. I think what initially uh, the two things that really draw me to group are the bright colors and just the natural wild type varieties. Um, a lot of these see in, in a lot of other species this vibrantly um, and also just the ease of care being that for most people ambient room temp in their home is exactly what these animals are going to thrive in um, it just was uh yeah that was a really appealing thing to me starting out um, especially as a a poor broke zookeeper not wanting to break the bank with all kinds of needing heat panels or, or extra um all this stuff extra stuff that goes into that setup yeah 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 i mean being up up where you are too i mean it's perfect for for cocci and mandarins and that stuff that definitely needs it a little cooler like that's the only reason that i i haven't 
like I, I would love to keep bamboo rats and stuff, but honestly, I don't, I can't keep them in my room. Like my room is just too warm. Um, How warm is your room most of the time? I mean, it stays in the upper seventies. Okay. It's going to be a little cooler now that it's starting to kind of cool down some outside, but um, it's know, hot. Like, it's hot have, in there in the middle of the summer. Like I have yeah. the, the cave geckos in our bedroom and it like yeah. hates it because I'm like, I can't, I told her, she's like, are these quarantining in here? I was like, no, <laughs> for now, but when they're yeah, not, they'd be like, much more suited and cave gecko temperatures and i mean they can yeah they can spike up around 80 but you definitely don't want them to be there for a prolonged period of time lower right. 70s mid 70s is better yeah yeah so i just i've those and and i mandarins too you know that'd be awesome but it's just one of those things where it's i just don't think that they would they would gel with the the room very well so yeah and that kind of goes into the whole like you know, keep things in your repertoire type of deal. Mm -hmm. Like that's why I keep a lot of, you know, I keep my room warmer because it's easier for me. So I keep a lot of Southeastern stuff and carpet pythons. And that's pretty much what I stick to because it all sure. kind of, it all kind of flows. I can, you know, the pituophis, you know, I can turn off their hotspots, the rat snakes, they can get a slight hotspot when my room gets up to 79, 80 degrees, but they're all, you know, they're all good. They get a little antsy when it gets warm, but you know, it'll yeah. be what it is, but it's not with me. Like it would be a lot harder to keep, that type of stuff, you know, because they would be constantly moving and they'd be too hot and it's just, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, would, it wouldn't be good, you know, here because I keep it warmer for everybody else. Right. But yeah, you know, that's, yeah, that's again, yeah, it's again, 70 to 75 right. at, at highest. So right. it'll it be interesting. Know. Once I my ambience do not stay at 75. Yeah. <laughs> once I move the Aggies into this black box cage, it's going to be interesting to see if how that changes the sort of the dynamic of the room. Cause that's, that's one of the things that keeps going to hold so heat warm. a lot better. Yeah, it's going to yeah. hold heat a lot more. So we'll see. I may have to kick some, some heat back on my racks and stuff. I will say with that, Smitty, if you have stuff stacked on your black box, so with my, I've got my yellow rat and, um, and a bio X, X, a three, Mm -hmm. um, a three by two by two. And I have a heat bulb on them and I have it turned off for now because the heat that came from that heat bulb coming up was actually heating up the cage that I have stacked up on them, like giving them a hot oh, okay. spot during the day. So See, just I'm going to watch it. I'm going to have the watch Jansen eye on side. top of that, but the Jansen eye, their, their heat panel isn't even plugged in most of the time either. either yeah, they unplug so it. So that may actually that, just work out better. Yeah. It'll give them a perfect little warm spot. Yeah, like mine under Mine under a puppy pad was getting up to about like 86, 88, like oh, with like, like, yeah, exactly. So it, it worked out nicely, but my heat for the carpet was on the other side and it was just mm. going to clash. So I have, and I need that 24 seven, his heat, I only had off yeah. for, you know, five, six hours a day. And then, so I didn't want to, I didn't want to fluctuate like that. So he's without heat for now. Luckily my room stays warm enough. He's getting UVB, but you know, it'll work out great for something like the Jansen eye. So just keep that in mind. Yeah. Yeah, we but, shall see. Yeah. Um, so you got into to mandarins at one point and then the other day mm -hmm. when we were talking, you had mentioned how you were kind of moving away from those. What's is there a particular reason? Yeah, I feel like I'm actually gonna get in trouble if Matt hears this because okay. both <laughs> I I've had old mandarins two different times and they've always come from Matt as well. Um See, I had some mandarins early on, and um, I actually lost 
the male that I had, he, uh, I just came into the snake room one day. I used the reptile basics racks and mm -hmm. that tub was like four inches open. Um, and there's no conceivable way that, you know, usually I've heard of snakes that have pushed their way out of a tub, um, but it would be like just barely open. So no other reasonable explanation other than me accidentally leaving that open, like during some cleaning and not realizing it. Yeah. And I searched forever and I never found that guy. So, um, at one point I took a, a look at, uh, some of the stuff in my collection where I just had lone animals and yeah, I had this, this awesome Vietnamese red Mandarin female that was, uh, she was probably close to three years old at that point. Um, and I just decided, you know, I'm going to focus on these other things and I'll part some lucky guy in Jersey got a, uh, a really nice Mandarin female for a heck of a good deal. Um, but then of course, within weeks, I totally regretted that. And that's always posting his insane mannerisms on Instagram and everything. And so it, it hooked me right back in. And so, um, I got another pair of Vietnamese mannerisms from him that were actually uh 66% Xanthic as well. And oh, nice. I'm not, I'm not personally actually interested, interested in as much like it's super cool, but I prefer mm -hmm. the, the vibrancy, the yellows and the high contrast of the black. Um, but funny enough, I think that that pet influence, um, of the azanthic gene actually improves the contrast of the black and the yellow in those guys. Oh. Um, but yeah, just, uh, we'll talk more about kind of this, this shift of focus. Um, but that happened again and, uh, yep. Those mannerisms went and found a new home as well. So I am sorry, Matt, please <laughs> give me, and also don't sell me more mannerisms if I come clawing back in a couple of weeks. Cause <laughs> I need to be decisive. Just tell well, me no. Well, well Justin right. can definitely relate to you on a snake getting out and never being able to find yeah. it. So <laughs> I remember that rhino, man. You were heartbroken. Dude. <laughs> that was bad. That was I've had a couple bad. rhino escapes. I've always found them though, but man, Dude, it they're is st a they're stupid good at getting day. out. Yeah. Yeah, they are. They are. Justin had that it's had that smart. one that got out and it was never found. <laughs> And it, that, like, I was really upset that it was gone, but then I was also really upset because Burwell sent it to me mm. as a as a gift because I was, oh, I was yeah. talking about how much I loved rhinos. He's like, "Hey, man, I got an extra mail if you want," and I was like, "Sure." And then I get it, and then a week later, I'm like, "Hey, Terry." Um, Ooh, and it was quick too. Huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't even didn't even get enough time to really get to know it. And, uh, but now, but now that times. rack is now that rack is done and gone, and uh, you're it on is, dude. Bigger, I put that, bigger and better black boxes. I put that thing in the yes. local reptile group. That and the other like thirty-two quart rack I have here. I was like two twenty-five takes both crickets. Mm. And mm. I even said in the ad, like if you're getting this hatchling rack, put something bigger in it than hatchling colubrids, like baby ball pythons, anything, anything yeah, other yeah. than tiny snakes. It's perfect. Yeah. And I've got nothing. Uh, so I use again the reptile basic tracks, and I start my hatchling colubrids in like the really small ones. I think mm -hmm. what they call them, like the I eights or whatever. Like yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, and I know exactly. They can't, they can't escape from that. That's fine. But I had uh, two yearling female holdbacks that I moved into the the ve sixes. So it's got those three different sizes of tubs mm -hmm. and. It was in the smallest one, and I mean, there's there's a little gap there. You can see it. I didn't think it was small enough, but one I don't know how many times I have to learn that lesson where I'm like, I know, yeah. there's no way yep, they're getting dude, out of that. 
I'm telling but you. Sure enough, the think... rhino was gone. Um, but yeah. luckily, I, I looked around for like 30 minutes and just usually they're like on the heat tape behind the tub somewhere. Yep. Um, if anything gets out, so I just started pulling tubs out, started looking there, and man, it was the biggest sigh of relief when I saw that thing. Yeah. That's the, that's actually exactly where I found most of my escapees. Luckily I haven't had an escapee in a while. Uh, the last two I had, yeah, the last two I had were water snakes and my mom actually found them and woke me up in the middle of the night was like, Hey, there's a snake in the house. And I'm like, what? And I woke up and I was like, Oh, this is mine. Um, but uh, had a rhino get out at, uh, at his place once, um, he so it was actually a cage he got from me i made it out of these old uh rubbermaid all access tubs it's it's like a rubbermaid like a cage with a clear door that you can like hinge down and i yeah, made some yeah, modifications yeah. to it um some screening and a lock and everything but it it somehow still got out and he was looking around his herp room and he actually had some fish tanks in there as well and he found it like in one of the fish tanks fully submerged fish swimming around it and she was just <laughs> It was just bliss for her. I don't, yeah, I don't know I was if like, probably like, ate anything in there. But yeah, it made us like really want to build an awesome paludarium someday for some rhinos. Yeah. That would well, be see, a crazy species to do that with. I had that thought when Justin got uh, baby rhinos eating tadpoles. Yeah. I had that thought. I was like, dude, these things would probably freaking love something like a paludarium. Dude. Mm-hmm. Like they would kill it with all the water, you know? Like if, they, if they'll eat tadpoles over like anything else... Yeah, you know, in the wild, they're they're killing it around yep. you know, bigger yeah, bodies of water with frogs. Really and stuff. cool like, to get to watch them make use of yeah, yeah, aquatic terrestrial and our own setup. Yeah, which is interesting too because I've offered mine pieces of frog leg, mm-hmm. and they no Nothing? no reaction whatsoever. Huh. They they smell it and then they just kind of look at you like, what what the hell do you want me to do with this? Yeah, I wonder if after a certain point, like with some of these other alternative right. food offerings, once we have them so established on rodents, it's like how much of that instinct is gone. Like you get the snakes that normally that species yeah. would be a constrictor that would coil it, but they just do the lazy grab because they know that. So similarly, and, the, the frog leg just doesn't trigger them. And it's also, you know, maybe as they get older, you know, frogs really are on the diet as much you know like as babies right. maybe they're more out to eat some amphibians because they're smaller easier to get a hold of but as adults they move on to more rodents things like that so they're not well, yeah. quite as interested you know like and I've, it's I've talked moving to, up the food chain type of deal i've talked to rob stone a good bad uh, a good bit about it um because he you know i noticed if you feed them if they get a decent sized meal that makes even sort of a slight ish bulge, they go straight for the water bowl and they just hang mm-hmm. out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he mentioned about, he mentioned sort like of buoyancy. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Something about it, I guess, gives them some sort of relief. But if like my my bigger animals, I'll give them, you know, four or five fuzzies and it's like they still will go in their water bowl. It just doesn't seem like they spend as much time there. Um but they definitely seem to to do a little better on smaller, more frequent meals than larger. Mm-hmm. And I think there's, there's a nest rating mm-hmm. sort of yeah. default for those older animals too. Like once they've moved away from, from fish and, and maybe tadpoles and stuff as, as neonates, like they've, they definitely go more towards the trees, I think. And, and nest rating is definitely a bigger thing for them. Have you ever tried to feed them quail eggs? No, because none of mine have been big enough yet. 
You should um, give that a go once they get. I know one I, of your I've biggest should be chicks. big enough at this point. At this point, oh yeah, yeah I could probably yeah. try quail eggs now. But yeah, you should try quail eggs and see if they do them. Because dude, I bet they mm-hmm. would scarf down if that's the case. If they're going to be nest raiders, then yeah, I would. I would try a, you know some quail eggs and see if they'll scarf those down. Yeah, yeah and if they stuff. don't take that, if you like break off the top of the quail egg and kind of have it like the bowl there, like uh, right. Wonder if they yeah. just slurp it out of quail chicks. Um, of the four adult rhinos that I have, three out of the four are all about it um, without hesitation. Mm-hmm. So nice, nice. But dude, I'm yeah. telling you, as far as escapees go, like with my black box rack with my smaller stuff, I have it set up with the shims to where I cut off the end of a shim and I tape it to the back of the rack, and then mm-hmm. I cut off the front of another shim and push it up front, and it pushes the whole tub up like yep. you know because the tubs are so long if you just stick one up front the back is still yeah. has that yeah. little that little bit of a gap but if you just if you raise it up enough you cut that one piece tape it to the back and then that raises the back then you have another one to push up front it completely closes that that's been my saving grace with mm-hmm. these racks man i'm telling you i haven't since i've been doing that i've had the smallest of smallest you know everglades rats in these black yeah, box racks with that yeah and with that setup dude i haven't had anything get out so i swear by it if it, if i even think it can get out of the like the standard the standard gap in one of these racks i do that i cut a cut a shim tape it to the back cut another shim push it up front done deal nothing nothing has been has gotten out since so anybody anybody who needs it that's that's the key man i'm telling you that was that was the smartest thing i ever i ever did so so how are you keeping your rhinos currently? Um, mm-hmm. It sounds like you've you've kept them both in racks and and in sort of cages. Are you keeping them singly? Are you keeping them in in pairs? Like how are you how are you doing that currently? Yeah, yeah. So um, that original pair that I had, I talked about years ago. They were in those those Rubbermaid all access cages. Um, currently, everything I have is just in racks. Um, but we're definitely going to talk about some caging because. Uh, they do, um, they've got the big water bowls. They spend a lot of time in there. They breed. So obviously there's some level of success of success, but I don't think that's necessarily the, the best means of measuring like true health and success of the animal. Um, cause frankly, I, I'm just sick of having them racks. Um, I think right. the real telltale sign that they're not necessarily loving it is it's, it's almost a challenge to put them back into the rack. And every time I try it, they're like head dodging it and, and trying to get out and trying to climb up. So I would love to you know, exhibit those natural behaviors. Um, so yeah, that's a, a huge part of goals for this season is figuring out what type of caging am I going to go with? I feel like you guys have some uh, pretty strong, uh, pretty strong opinions and options to offer. We can we, certainly talk I, we, about that. We, we know a company. We know yeah. people. We, yeah. we got you. Heard we got them. you. Yeah. Cool. Use code TH, THP10 at checkout. THN. Oh, nice. THN, THN is it just THN or is it just THN? THN. That's THN. Use code THN at checkout. And I, I still feel like my uh, my hatchlings and my grow outs are going to spend a good amount of their time starting out in racks um, rather than arboreal cages. But anything that I'm Holding back long term as soon as it's it's big enough to thrive in a cage, it's gonna get moved into a cage. And it's funny you bring up the whole like, you know, head bobbing, you know, going out. So like what I've noticed with some of mine, and I've tried to 
pay a lot more attention to it with certain animals. I've noticed with a lot of mine, because like a lot of my snakes are in racks currently, mm. but the way I have them set up, you know, is very kind of involved. And most of my snakes are eager to go back in. Like as soon as I put them back in, they're like, you know, like slide right on in. And that kind of makes me feel better. Like, okay, they would yep. rather be in their enclosures. Like they feel good. They yes. feel safe in their enclosures. But I have certain animals that are like, mm, no, I don't want to go back in. And I'm like, okay, so maybe I'm doing something wrong if they don't want right. to be in there. Because snakes, they shouldn't like you. Realistically, they, they, you're a big giant monkey with massive, you know, mitts for hands, you know, like you, you tolerate it best. Yeah, they tolerate it at best. And and so if they don't want to go back into the place that they live, then I feel like, you know, something might be off. But if they're eager, like put me back in my home, then they feel safe. They feel comfortable. But, you know, it's, it's, I've never, I've never brought that up before, but it's something I have been paying a lot more attention Mm -hmm. to recently because I've noticed that with some, with certain animals, you know, not wanting to go back in versus like, please put me back in my home. You know, like yeah, it's it, definitely it's, species specific. I think because right. Jant and I are a prime example of that. It didn't matter right. if I when I had, so I had the male in the rack longer than the female, and that was mm. because the male was very good at at jailbreaking just about anything I put him in. Right. Um, and so I had to lock him down like Hannibal Lecter. Uh, but both of them, I mean, it's like if I have them out, if I'm having to clean the cage, which doesn't happen often, like they don't care where they're going. They just don't want it to be anywhere near me. Right. And so they beeline for the hides. As soon as I walk in the room, they disappear. Um, right. You know, the rhinos, it's the opposite. Like I open the, I walk in the room and they're instantly like, I have one, one of the males in particular, he like smushes his horn up against the, the cage and he's like rubbing it all around and stuff. And he's um, worried it's going to fall off. One of yeah. Days. Yeah. And so I'll, <laughs> like I'll open the door and he'll just kind of sit there. Like all of a sudden he got his freedom and he's just like, Oh, okay. Um, but then like the beards, it's kind of the same thing where sometimes I have a few that are in racks and they'll kind of like dodge it. And then I have some that are in sort of the V seventies, like the bigger ones and they'll, mm-hmm. they'll go right in there. Um, so I definitely think there's, there's something to be, to, to be said there for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but rhinos are one of those ones and the Jance and I where you're kind of missing out if you have them in a rack. I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. yeah, just even not getting to see them all the time. Um, yeah. That is just the, the thought one of being species. able to walk into my room and see them all displayed there is yeah. so much more appealing. Yeah, and dude, I mean, like aside like from walking... the chondros, yeah, the rhinos are all ways out. My female is mm-hmm. much more seclusive than the two males are, but I walk into that room, and even my two younger ones that are that are now out of that that god awful rack, um, and going into one of the biogs soon, um, like they're always out. Yeah. And if they're not out when I come in the room and I don't see them within a few minutes, they're they're out and watching me and stuff. Like, yeah. I don't think I've ever had another species that was aside from maybe the Pituophis that I have currently, the Southern, the Jans, the the Jani is like he's, he he wants nothing to do with me. But um, <laughs> everything yeah. else, like I've never had a snake that was out and about as much as the rhinos are. Dude, I'm telling you, every time Maybe I walk, Brettles. every time, every time I walk into Smitty's room, like the first thing I look at is that BioG stack, and like the rhinos are always out on those wooden perches Chilling and the BioGs. The they're just hanging out, sitting up there, just like looking, you know. And I'm mm-hmm. like, dude, they freaking love it. 
They love it. In those they sleep on those perches. They come. They're out and hang always out on those there. Perches. Yeah. Now, do you uh, singly house your rhinos, or do you cohab at all? Um, at the moment, I do. I plan on keeping a pair together at some point when they get a little more size on them, and they kind of outgrow those bio Gs. Put them um, in like a three a three foot enclosure or something. And yeah, that's yeah. that's my plan. I have so I still have a cube that I had a chondro in. I'm actually looking at it right now. It's collecting dust, and I when I can figure out a good place to put it, then I may move them in there. It depends. Cause I'm also wanting to get rid of that camber rack and swap that out for like some XT threes uh, mm-hmm. instead. And those would definitely like chondras would go in those singly. And then I'd pr- probably keep a pair and then maybe one of the other spare males can hang out in one too. But yeah, I definitely, I definitely want to keep them together. I know Rob, it sounds like he keeps a lot of his together. Yeah. I heard um, Matt say recently he does as well. And yeah. I- reasonably large group so mm-hmm. feeding it's feeding sounds interesting in that yeah. i'd be interested <laughs> that, to know how they do that successfully but i think a lot of i think a lot of snakes do better than we realize cohabiting yeah. you know because like a lot of like chris montross with a lot of his you know um southeastern colubrids he keeps most of his together in pairs and they do fine you know because they don't breed when they're not supposed to you cool them down like they do great me personally, the feeding thing has been what has deterred me from doing that right. because I, I did I don't it for have a to while. Pry snakes apart. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't sound like fun. with yeah, with my water snakes, it's a different story. I kind of put in a plate of frog legs and pinkies mm-hmm. all chopped up, they, and they, they, they and they just themselves. yeah, they they kind of just go ham. But I had my Santa Rosa um, white oaks together for a while, and they were you know larger, you know you know sub adults, you know pushing adult size. And feeding them was just a nightmare because you put one mouse in and they're both going for the same mouse. And me, like, I'm not good at holding two mice at the same time. So I'd kind of go one by one. And so they'd both be going for the same one. And then, like, I would feed them and one would eat a lot faster than the other Mm -hmm. one. And then yeah, it would start it going. Yeah, I'm sitting there having to watch him, and I'm having to grab the guy that just ate because he's going for the females one that's like halfway down its gullet. But he's like, "Ooh, what's that?" You know, and I'm like, "Don't freaking do that," you know. So it's like for me, it was just easier to monitor. So I've separated everything, even a lot of my Nerodia. I have my bigger pairs together or bigger animals together, and I leave them. You know, as it is, like I said, and I just put out a plate and they sort it out Yeah, because they're more so a, they'll fight for it. But then once one wins, they're like, okay, screw you. You know, I'll go get a different piece, you know, so they're not ones to eat each other. Like garter snakes will garter snakes will straight up eat another garter snake because they're trying to get the same prey item, you know, like it's just, it happens. The the lady in the tramp scenario, but then exactly. Yeah, exactly. And then rat snakes do the same, same thing. You know, I've heard Montross, you know, not that long ago, he told me about, um, some Fox snakes. He walked in and his female had his male like halfway swallowed and he had to whip it out. And like, it was fine. Like both animals ended up being okay, but like, I can't, I can't deal with that. Yeah. Like I'm not like, at least not unsupervised. Yeah, you know, like, and that just for me, you know, time is a huge factor. You know, I work a lot. I'm busy. Like, I can't, I can't sit there and watch every single snake eat every single meal all the way down and be like, okay, you guys good. And then move on with my life. Like, you know, it, it takes, you know, four or five hours to feed everything as it is, you know, so it's just, it's a process and, you know, time is, time is money, you know, let's, let's all face it. So it's, 
I don't know. It's just easier for me to keep individually. I don't like it because I could save a lot of space keeping in pairs, but it's easier to monitor, you know, pooping habits and feeding habits and all of that, you know, making sure everybody gets proper meals. But I don't know. It's the feeding aspect is what got me with a lot of it. So. Yeah, I want to keep them together, though. I think when I so I have an empty bio G that that one chondro was in, it got moved to the Cambro rack. So I'm I'm probably going to keep the two young ones together. I have a pair from Terry Burwell that are going to go in that. I think I just got to go in there and clean it out and swap out the Cypress and stuff. And um, I ordered more of those Manzanita purchase, too. So when those get here, I definitely want to add more. Um, Dude, if I get once I get some bio G's, I'm getting a ton of those manzanita perches, man. Those things are freaking awesome. Yeah, they're perfect in those bio G's. It's the the ones that are made for like birds, but they mm -hmm. have like the wing nut and the washer. And so I just I drill a, a small, appropriately sized hole and attach them right to the the inside of the black box cages and. They work they look, perfectly, and they look and they awesome. Look they look freaking awesome, man! Like it's it's great. Those are fantastic perches, especially for those biogies. You know, with a bigger animal, it might be kind of hard for them to get the surface area they need. You, you can know, just like get a, bigger perches though. They have them in different sizes. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I might have to look. I into just that. get those sizes because that's that's what fits in those biogies. Yeah, no problem. For sure. Yeah. Um, and I like those. Those are nice, too, because that manzanita is a nice hardwood. You don't have to worry about it molding or anything weird like that. And then I have the pothos in there that's growing crazy, like growing like unbelievably well in those cages, nice. too. So. Uh oh, Huge is having Wi-Fi connection problems at times. We're loading. Boy, you like this shirt? Boy, I love that shirt, man. I added, you see, I cool. added the, the THM yeah, I did to the top that. there. I was like, there you go, there you go, I like it. So could we could we do the opposite and do one in black and have the yellow logo? Is yeah, I just, this was like one of the shirts we had in my size. And okay. uh, I don't know, I like the, I like the yellow, but I definitely want to do like a military green with like a tan eggshell colored art. Yeah, that would be cool. That'd be cool. Offer them some different colors. But yeah, no, dude, it looks great. I love the detail in like the tower and the snakes. Mm -hmm. Like it looks looks a million times better than those Teespring Teespring ones we got. Yeah, <laughs> mine came out. Mine came out terrible, dude. I ordered mine mm -hmm. and I got a black shirt, but my you know most of them were, the logo was supposed to be yellow. Mine came out like this weird, weird green, green, like kind of a throw up green color, and I was like, yeah. what the hell is this? Like. But those, dude, those are fantastic. Those, those look great. You're doing phenomenal with those shirts, man. I gotta, I gotta place a, an order and make make a bunch. Yeah, I need to. I need to put out a feeler for anybody that wants some long leaf reptilia shirts. And place I need a, to get another one made because the one I got, I got the, I got a size too small. Because mm. I think that was before I found these these soft styles, and we did the next levels. I think. Mm -hmm. And those next levels are, they run small. And I just, I don't know. These soft styles are so much better. But yeah, I don't know, man. I love the shirt that I got from you. I think it's freaking fantastic. So, but anyways. Yeah. I think internet's back and cooperating now. Sorry. There Good. we go. Good. Booted for a moment there. I'm not even in a hurricane, man. I have no excuse. Yeah, it happens. 
Yeah, that's we, all right. we struggle with it all the time. Yeah, yeah. way too often. <laughs> uh, uh, so breeding wise, what's sort of your timeline for when do you start cooling things? What's the process there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think breeding wise, it's going to do a lot of what we were talking about earlier with just don't overcomplicate it. Um, I treat all my rat snakes the exact same for breeding and everything's producing. So I stop feeding um, right around October 1st, um, and I give them four to six weeks to clear out before I start cooling for brumation. I do brumate. Um, and so mid-November is when I'm going to, uh, if they have any supplemental heat, I room starts cooling down naturally a little bit. And I just have one room that I keep everything in. Um, I don't have like a a heated garage or, or something that will get colder, but not too cold. So the way I worked it out last year so that I could have some animals brumating and some animals not is I moved the whole brumating rack right up against the window that's in this room. And I got some of that two inch thick rigid foam board um, from Home Depot and essentially constructed a cabinet around the window and the whole window. And I was able to just crack the window open a little bit. Um, I had a sensor push in there so I could keep tabs on the temperature at all times. And it was like sitting around 50 to 60 degrees throughout the entire winter in that cabinet. Rest of the room was 70 to 75 degrees ambient. Um, just other side of that phone. Wow. So I think, yeah, that's a, that's awesome. kind of came out of desperation yeah. of wanting to adequately cool them. Um, and cause I think the year before going down the entire room, some, some, but leaving heat on for the animals that weren't brumating. And I think that just got the ambient for those non-brumating animals way too low. And the animals that did brumate only got down to 60 to 65. So I just wanted a little bit colder. Um, and yeah, this gave me the best of both worlds. And I think that's something that a lot of people uh, could look at as an option if they live in a, at least a, a part of the country where it is getting cold enough outside. Because uh, you can open that window as much as is going to do the trick. Um, and yeah, if you don't have coolers or a, a cold basement, uh, everybody's got a window, a window to move a rack next to it and build a cabinet around. That's fantastic, man. That's such a smart idea. Cause even with that, you could make it as big or as small as you want it, yep. you know, yeah. depending on your room size, you know, you can right. build a whole half wall around one window yeah. and then put a bunch of stuff in there. That's, that's ingenious, dude. I love that. That's, that's fantastic. Well, yeah. 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 There's, there's a somewhere down my Instagram feed, there's a picture of that with the rack set up against the window and the foam board yeah. all around it. Yeah. We're lucky down here where like it'll get cold enough in the winter for us to stick all of our colubrids in the garage. You know, I just moved into mm -hmm. a house where I actually have a garage now. Yeah. So all my colubrids are going to go in external tubs and gets, just get stuck in the garage for mm -hmm. two months, you know? So, but that's the thing with us we don't get the harsh winter so yeah. we can it'll stay around 50 degrees yeah. 50, you know mid 50s in our garages and we'll be fine all winter with you you can't do that because your garage yeah, and i hear if some if people have a garage it's going to get cold, cold and some people in this climate they would do something similar where they build like a little enclosed mm -hmm. structure in their garage where it's colder and just heat it up so it's at that 50 or 55 degrees but that just makes me way too does fail right. um, everything's freezing um as opposed to in my setup if i don't know the 
the rest of the room is going to get a little bit colder for a short period of time, but nothing for anybody. Yeah. And that's like, even with your stuff that doesn't need a serious drop, like you always want that slight, that slight drop in the winter for even your stuff that doesn't need the serious, you know, that's a a room droppage is never bad in the winter because no matter what we keep, there's going to be, there's going to be variances depending on the seasons, you know, whether it be, you know, you know, five, 10 degrees versus, you know, 30, 40 degrees, you know, like Mm -hmm. some animals need that, but having that slight drop as an ambient in your room is, is never a, a bad thing, you know, at all. Sure. So that's... Yeah. I, I found 50 to 60 degrees is my goal temp for mm-hmm. brumation. Um, so again, that's like mid November that I start cooling them down and then sometime throughout the month of February, um, definitely before March, I start warming them back up. So for me, that looks like just first closing the window in that cabinet where they're so at mm-hmm. and I'll, I open the doors to that cabinet. Um, let it acclimate to the the ambient of the rest of the room, and then eventually they go back into their other enclosures and and they get their hot spots back. Um, yeah. And I don't wait for like a, a post brumation shed or anything. I start feeding once they've been warmed up for days, um, and then I just keep them on a pretty set schedule the rest of the breeding season until I'm getting eggs. So I usually feed. I try to feed on Sundays. Um, that can vary a little bit. And I give them till about Wednesday to kind of just chill and digest. And then I, I pair snakes on Wednesdays and then I leave them together until Saturday and separate and feed on Sunday and just repeat again. And um, There's some variability of that. If I'm like gone or busy on the weekends, uh, it doesn't always happen on that same cycle. Um, right. I just keep at it. And uh, sometimes I check in and I witness some locks. Other times I just, I'm sure that I'm pairing them enough so that something is likely happening and, it's always worked out. Yeah. And it's never a bad thing to not keep on the same exact schedule. Right. right? Cause let's face it, like it's feeding every seven days on the die is not a natural. No, nope. like yeah. it, it's, it's not, you know, so like we all try to keep it around seven days, but realistically it's between six and 10. Like, you know, sure. that's just, that's just how it goes, you know, but, um, with, with that all in mind, do you is what animals, you know, with what you keep, what animals do you cool down to that 50 to 60 degrees versus the stuff that you leave in, you know, your ambience just having yeah. a couple degrees. Drop. So the the only stuff that I don't do not currently and would not cool down to that temp is stuff that's not breeding. Um Okay. Yeah. So babies or or juveniles, sub adults gotcha. that are still growing up. Just yeah. I know I totally could. Um I could take them down to that temp, but I don't think, yeah. uh, I just rather keep them warm, keep them eating and keep them growing throughout the winter. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, I do think with stuff that's a little bit more, you know, wild per se, you know, some of your scrub pythons like Moluccans and then, you know, your things like, um, um, you know, some certain pythons that are a little bit more rare, you know, I think those are ones that would benefit from, cooling down even as babies, you know, getting them in um, like a, a cycle, you know, yeah. Keeping, yeah. Keeping them in that cycle, you know, cause mm-hmm. I think that goes a long ways, you know, so, you know, stuff like Mullikins where people are seem that they seem like they're changing everything they do every year. 
that's not going to do well, you know, keep them on the same cycle from hatching to adulthood. And then, yeah. you know, that can help. But some of your colubrids, like, it's just, it's not necessary. You know, you don't. I guess I will add the that. caveat to like my hundred flower rat snake hatchlings. Um, mm -hmm. They do get brumated. Um, okay. Because yeah. in my experience, the hatchlings will not eat that first fall. Um, oh, okay. There's like a diapause brumation. kind of going on. Yep. And then in the spring, I start. Um, offering uh, i didn't even have success with frozen thawed pinks right away i had to get, just start offering live pinks and slowly over over the first couple of weeks in the spring they started taking them um, you know and i have i've ha i have heard that even with like you know your more basic southeastern rat snakes you know like don't i've heard people say don't force them to eat you know and yep. then if winter comes and they still haven't eaten cool them down them yep. down for yeah, and two had, months and then normally when they come out of rumation they'll start eating like yeah that's and a, i think any, any yeah. hatchling colubrid that you're having trouble getting it to eat when it hatches in the fall i'd, I'd recommend trying that out even just a short cooling period of a couple of weeks and it should help yeah yeah because if you if you try if you force something down you know something really small that isn't eating on its own if you force it down like it's gonna crash quick like mm -hmm. like once you start that metabolism you can't turn it off right you know what i mean so I mean, it, I it's gonna crash immediately just that's about. the case with that one dunes that isn't eating like mm -hmm. it's not losing any weight it's yeah. completely healthy like it's active it's it's body tone and stuff it's fine i think maybe it is just a case of it yeah you gotta cool it down and maybe in spring it'll come around so who knows? Yeah. so last season i had a black milk snake hatchling that it did not eat in the fall I brumated it through the winter. It still would not eat in the spring. This thing was literally eight months old before it ever took its first meal. Um, and so I, I'm not into assist feeding, force feeding. Um, usually I'm of the of the thought that like if, if this thing is not going to naturally thrive, like it's probably best that we're not raising it up and it's somebody passing it on and, and having them potentially pass that on as well. Um, right. Um, kind of more experimentally, I wanted to try it out and, and see what happened. And if I did kick start, start that metabolism, would it have any luck on eating on its own? So I, I gave just a little snip of a rat tail and, and I did have to force that all the way down. Um, but within, uh, basically the next time I offered a pinky, just leave it in there, take it frozen thawed pinky. So it, Something to be said, it can work sometimes, but it's not. Yeah, and, and see, I had the opposite experience. I had um, a buddy of ours sent me a pair of Everglades rats that had never eaten. You know, they were yeah. basically fresh out of the egg. And the male ate right off the rip. No problem. Frozen thawed pink off the tongs. Like, it ate right there. Yeah. It, was, it was perfect. Female, on the other hand, would not eat for nothing went months without food and i started to see it kind of lose weight and i was like okay we got to get something in this thing so i assist fed it a mouse tail you know i i got it most of the way down twisted it down its neck and then you know she kind of took it the rest of the way and then within two weeks it crashed because mm -hmm. she wouldn't she still didn't want to eat on her own i didn't want to keep a, assist feeding tails but because right. i started the metabolism she crashed almost immediately oh yeah yeah they'll you eat know, up all the stores real quick yeah right there you know with that one mouse that it was gone in two weeks you yeah. know so it was like you know, i was hoping that would kick start it to like want to eat type of deal but like i almost wish i would have waited cooled down instead of you know because for sure it was in the winter when i was when i tried to assist feed it 
but you know, I really wish I would have cooled it down versus trying to assist yeah. feed, you know, because yeah, I, I think if I you have like the option to cool it the... down, always, always try that first. But I think it's a last ditch effort if, if you're deciding to yeah. go that way. Yeah. But it was definitely, it was a learning curve, you know, like yep. it sucked. It sucked. Like I hated myself for it, you know, yep. but it just, it happens, but it was a good learning. It was a good learning tool, you know, to like not really do that. Like I'm not going to, I won't, as, and, you know, there's certain things like Justin with your cyania, like those, you kind of, you kind of have to assist feed mouse tails to start them off, you know, but stuff like rat snakes like you know i'm of the opinion if it's if it's not gonna eat it's not meant to be you know and don't make it eat cool it down if it's still not gonna eat then you know what are you gonna do you know but it's i don't know yeah. it, it really changed my perspective on cis feeding for stuff that you know stuff like southeastern rat snakes so mm -hmm. but, yep so as far as back to breeding rhinos um most commonly I get clutches being laid uh, mid-June to early July. And, and again, that's starting at about March 1st, feeding and pairing. Um, and I, in the past, I've tried putting eggs directly like into a substrate. I use vermiculite most of the time, mm -hmm. um, you know, kind of the half buried. And I think last year I, I did have a clutch that got a little too wet and I didn't ventilate it enough either. Um, mm -hmm. And at almost full development, one of those clutches ended up all but one died last year. Um, so this oh. year I did put everything on light diffuser panel. And so the, the vermiculite can be plenty moist, but it keeps the eggs out of that direct contact. And also just using like a thumbtack, I just put tiny, tiny pinholes um, in that egg box. And mm -hmm. it's a, it was enough ventilation to keep air moving. Uh, keep plenty of oxygen available for those eggs, but not so much that it was able to let in flies or or uh, yeah. dry the eggs out. So I will yeah. definitely, from here on out, I will set up all my eggs that way with and and using the a little bit of suspension off the yeah. um, off the substrate. But yeah. I incubate a little bit cooler um, than a lot of people might uh, have my incubator set at seventy eight degrees. And okay. um, it took about 76 days for both rhino clutches that I had this year to hatch at that temperature. Um, Do you know the, Rob... the yeah, weight of the, the female that, that laid or multiple females, you know, you know, their rough weight at all? I, I don't, I don't weigh. Um, I, yeah. So age, they were four years old at okay. the first, uh, the first time I attempted breeding them or had mm -hmm. success breeding them. Um, or they were, I guess, coming into their, their fourth mm -hmm. year. Um, yeah, I don't weigh them. Um, they're probably surprisingly smaller than what you might think. Um, well, that's what I'm trying to they, figure out. Cause I, like, I have my, my reverse trio and they're, I want to see. Here, let me just grab one. We can yeah, check out the my, size. I'm trying to think. Mine were probably close to yearlings when I got them. I've had them for. I need to go back and look. They're probably approaching like three. I was going to say, I think yours would be around three. Okay. That's about the same size as mine. Yeah. Maybe mine are, mine are a tad smaller. Your females? 
all three of them. And, I mean, this girl would be five years old at this point, going on six. Um, so she was probably a little smaller last year. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're just a, a bit smaller of a rat snake overall than a lot of right. other, yeah. uh, the North American species, especially. Yeah, of the two clutches I had this year, um, one of them laid nine eggs and they were decently oh, sized, wow. pretty big eggs. The other laid 14 eggs. Oh, um, good God. And they were a little bit smaller, some of them, um, but everything hatched and everything was able to take. Uh, wow. We'll talk about babies in a minute here, but like yeah. said, the rosy reds and eventually the pinkies, but after like just two uh two rosy red meals they were able to take day old pinks no problem and I mean, mm-hmm. again i don't weigh them but some of these are like two grams i think as hatchlings so wow yeah i mean like i know weight isn't exactly the best thing to go off of yeah I'm curious because it's yeah. it's hard to gauge you know like i i feed my rhinos more regularly than most of my other colubrids and it's mostly if i'm feeding like pinkies and fuzzies to other stuff i usually have a few extras that I'll, I'll throw mm-hmm. to them, especially the younger ones. Um, but I don't know. I mean, like I said, I think I need to go back and look, but I want to, I think mine might be approaching the three year mark. Okay. And I'm planning on cooling them down this year for sure. Cause I'm cooling down pretty much anything that's an adult um, or, you know, sub adult. <clears throat> uh, yeah. I've heard of some people having the success at that three year mark. Um, so it might work out, but if you're not in a rush and you want to give them that extra year, they'll, yeah, they'll probably do much better the next year. I've always been under the impression for most things, you know, some animals need to go a bit longer, but for most animals, especially females, four years is kind of that money, yeah, that money zone, you know, when they're really, it's, really in it. Yeah, yeah, you know, a lot of people try and shoot for three, but I feel like if you shoot for three, you're pushing it, you know, you can, you're feeding heavily and you know, they may give you a couple good eggs, you know, but a bunch mm-hmm. of duds. And, you know, if that happens, in my opinion, you know, I think it wasn't necessarily good for them. You know, right. it's, you know, you that like may not, yeah, that may not be the, enough that they have some obesity and then that's going to lead to mm-hmm. constriction of the oviducts and possible yeah. egg retention and all that. Yeah. So. You know, I know a lot of people probably aren't going to like hearing that, but that's just, that's my personal opinion, you know, that yep. for most things, four years is kind of that. That money zone, three years, yeah, it can be done, but it's probably not going to be the healthiest clutch. It's probably not going to be good for the girl, you know. Just give them an extra year, you know. Sure. Like, what's, and what's, I think we're so used to hearing, like, in the industry especially, like, people are pushing to breed females at, like, 18 months, two years old. And so we think that, like, it, it, it works for them um, Yeah. most of the time, but we think that's, like, the rule and not the exception, and we can apply that to all these other species. but. And you also have to think yep. that in captivity, most snakes only live eight to 10 years. Right. You know? Like that's, that, that, that says something, you know, at least to me, like sure. me for my carpets and my carpets die before they're 15. I'm, I'm not going to be satisfied. You know, that's just, that's just me. You know, like I think if something dies at 10 years old, unless there's added problems, you know, like cancers, like obviously when a snake hits 10 years old, cancers can definitely come about all that stuff. But, you know, I think in captivity, if all your stuff is dying at around the eight to 10 year mark, like you're, you're doing something wrong. You know, that's just, again, that's just me. If there's no, if there's no extra problems, then, you know, like I think snakes and snakes on average should live 15 to 20 years. You know, that's just my opinion. Maybe I'm full of crap, but you know, that's just, that's just me. But yeah. Well, yeah, 
long life definitely better. Yeah, for sure. But uh, yeah, the slow, so the slow growth is always the, yeah the sweet spot. Um, the yeah. males will probably breed a little bit younger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, males are definitely a different exception. You know, yep. those will around two, three years, they're probably ready to rock and roll. But those females, you want to give them that extra extra time if you can. You know. So as for feeding the babies, this is going to be a fun part of the conversation. I feel like this is a big uh, setback for a lot of people. Um, and there's there's definitely plenty of different uh, thoughts and opinions on methods to do it. Um, and I've tried a couple of different ways myself. Um, I think the most common ways we hear about are either feeding in the water and then putting the pinky in the water starting out. That's mm-hmm. what I did this year. Uh, some people want to avoid the feeder fish because um, the parasite load, and there's definitely some validity to that. But um, I think we, I don't know, it, it's a toss up on whether we're worrying about that maybe a little bit more than we necessarily need to. Um, so last year I did try completely fish free and I just did a uh, tease feeding technique um terry actually put out a great video sometime last year about this and it works you can get them all started um it just takes forever makes you want to tear your hair out and then when you sell that rhino to somebody if if they're not able to do it exactly the way you are um, yeah it's not necessarily going to establish as well for them right so um yeah this year and just the less you can worry about them, the less you can try to complicate it, the better they seem to do. I've done all rosies this year. Um, some of them, I only have one out of the, the 21 babies that I hatched this year that seems to have no interest in rosies. And so I did do the tease feeding with that one. And eventually they, they turn around and taking it off the tongues pretty well. Um, but hands off is easier, especially with 21 babies. Like I, I do not have the time. It can take yeah. 20 to 30 minutes. <laughs> A single baby um, yeah not to mention the yeah the, the more stressed i get the more stressed they are probably going to get um so yeah currently my technique i just use a little 3.25 ounce water cup and i put one to two rosies in there and and as small uh small pinks as i can find i drop that right in the cup and they take everything and just this last feeding i started trying just the pinkies and only like five of the 20 didn't take the pinky alone Um, so it's usually in the evening that i'm dropping all those things in most everything is eaten by time i check in the morning if they haven't eaten i just leave it while i'm gone for work and then check again after work and at least a few more have uh have taken the pinky by that time so it's it's super easy now it's as easy as as drop dropping drop feeding anything else um so i really don't think there needs to be as much uh concern i got about getting baby as a lot of people have seemed to think there is and uh yeah i'm, I'm again, super curious to see if if you got like frozen tilapia and just tried very small slivers of that you know yeah with pinkies yeah potentially i think um i think the motion has a lot more to do with yeah. it on the rosies sure. drawing them in um because the original pair that i had long time ago like when i got the the female she was totally established on pinkies he did need some rosies and to transition him onto just the pinkies i actually had like this long really thin wooden stick that when the pinky was in the water bowl i would 
I would make contact with the pinky and, and wiggle it. And so the pinky was like flailing around a little bit in the water dish. And that really drew him in that motion and that he, he'd go for it. And I was able to slowly transition that to reaching the pinky in with the tongs into the water bowl and moving it around and eventually just offering the pinky on the tongs. Yeah. Um, I've, I have tried uh, last year with some picky ones, um, like the, the frog reptilinks as well and they had zero interest in that so um but yeah man uh, you could definitely try out the tilapia um i just my my main concern is like not having access to rosy reds because i'm sure if i oh really if i go to pet smart on a regular basis i'm like hey i need 10 rosy reds and then i show up again next week hey i need 10 rosy reds they're probably going to be like what are you because you know how they're weird about selling things that are going to be feeders well, well, see, that's I think thing. they stock specifically as fish. Yeah. So, oh, really? Rosie, okay. Rosie yeah. Reds, like having being one of the douchebags that worked at PetSmart <laughs> for a long time, they sell. So, those two, they have two tanks down at the bottom that are specifically feeders. They have the tiny yeah. little goldfish oh, okay. and then the Rosie Reds. Those are sold as feeders. Now, if you go try and buy live mice, Right. That's going to be a completely completely different story. But those those big tanks of the goldfish and the rosy reds, those are sold specifically for feeders. And those are, but normally, normally they're for like your African cichlids and right. stuff. Yeah. Like you put them in for your because a lot of those fish will only eat live fish, you know. So your cichlids need those rosy reds, so they supply those normally. And that's what that was actually going to be my follow up question, PJ, is where you get yeah. your rosy reds yeah just a, uh and that's smart box pet store. yeah i yeah. got a pet supplies plus closer to me i used to go to petco a uh, place i used to live um yeah and sometimes they they do ask what are you feeding and i say yeah i've got a bunch of hatchling rhinoceros rat snakes and they think it sounds cool they've never heard of it i show them yeah. a picture and it makes their day because yeah even even pet store forever. employees have often never heard of uh anything yeah. outside of the common big box stuff so yeah no so those yeah those I, that i was going to be my follow-up is you know where you got them but yeah no that's that's good to know because like yeah those rosy reds and then the little goldfish are normally sold specifically yeah, for feeders i've heard the goldfish can be quite a bit more nasty yeah i would never snakes, i would don't i would never feed those yeah. to snakes <laughs> but yeah no the rosies yeah they they normally and the the rosies are normally in stock pretty much all yep. the time those i've you know I and it can being, vary the size yeah. they have available sometimes yeah. they're like super sure. tiny sometimes rhino babies they can take if they're interested in it they can take a surprisingly large prey item yeah um, and and those rosies yeah. they get if you get some of the big ones you can get some pretty chonky rosies but yeah. even then like i saw thousands upon thousands of rosies you know putting them into their tanks again working for two different pet smarts you know as a younger person you know you they get a ton of those things in and they your biggest rosy there's no way the your smallest rhino cannot take the biggest rosy pet smart has to offer yeah that's just you know so what are your yeah. thoughts on the uh on the on the blue line you think there's a legit yeah blue line so let's talk about that because yeah i saw there's a video going around recently of uh, a snake that was at the um one of the canadian reptile expos did you see this they're actually calling it an azanthic rhino. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't watched yeah, it. Really. Heard about it. I haven't, okay. I have, I've, I've been meaning to go check it out just out of curiosity, but I have not watched it yet. Yep. So it, it's an insane looking snake. That is for sure. Um, I think that 
in a polygenic sense, there's definitely some lines of rhinos that have been selected for higher blues than others. Um, one of the, the, the males I have, he's definitely a lot more, uh, more of a, a yellowish green than a bluish green, but um, others have, have a decent amount of blue in them. Um, so as far as this, this one in this video being a specific, like they've apparently had a couple generations where they've been seeing a lot of this high blue. The thing about an axanthic animal is if, if it's truly like a recessive axanthic trait, it should be lacking like all yellow pigments. Um, but you can even see in this video that it does have some like definite green on the back. Like the head is super blue, the chin is is pretty blue, but there's still green on there. So that means right. there is still yellow pigment because the green of the snake is coming from the combination of the blue and the yellow combining. Right. Um, so I'm I I if something like that exists, like I'm all for it. Um, I think the wild types of these animals are awesome. I'm not against morphs at all, but I'm just not convinced that we have a uh, a simple recessive morph in rhinos yet um but yeah that, polygenic wise we do seem to have some lines of there's variation there. yeah yeah and when if to call it like especially with exanthic stuff like it's pretty much across the board to know if it's a true like morph you really need to look at the eyes you know, like oh, yeah. with exanthics, like the eye color is what, like that's how with a lot of carpets. So with like Poplins specifically, you know, coastal, is, well, no, I'll even say coastals more specifically because some coastals can come out very gray, bluey color and still be normals, you know, and your head exanthics can look a lot like exanthics, you know, right. you know, visually, but to tell them apart, you have to look at the eyes. Like the Xanthics have the silver eyes, you know, okay. and like that's more of a trait for just the Xanthic mutation versus a normal mutation. Like you'll see, you'll see the difference in the eyes with the Xanthics versus one that's just either lime bread for to be that color or, you know, even a het, whatever. Like your your true Xanthics, like there will be a different color in the eyes. Yeah. So I think that that's something that people need to pay a little bit more attention to, you know, those, that, that type of trait. But, and again, I don't know that much about rhinos, especially when it comes to morphs when there's really none out there, but I knowing a little bit about the exanthic trait, that's something that I would look for, you know, raise it up as an adult and then see, you know, what the difference is in the eye color. Cause I think that would be your kind of telltale sign. But yeah, I don't know. I think there's, it's it's not necessarily, like, I agree that I'm sure there are lines that do have much more bluer tones to them, you know, some more than others, but mm -hmm. I don't, like, I know we see it a lot with, like, the European crowd, you know, blue line rhinos, and we see a lot of pictures that are probably doctored to some degree. But right. There's way too many good editing apps to uh, yeah, make the snakes yeah, look really. I'm not saying it's bad to do that. I'm just saying like a lot of people edit their stuff to make it look a whole lot more popping than it. Really but one is. of the, I mean, but... that male, one of those males that I have, he's like his, his entire oh, dude. lower half is baby yeah. blue. It's mm -hmm. yeah. You have some amazing animals that are just like almost straight blue. Yeah, and that's where and I see a lot, other... a lot of the blue on them. It tends to be like right along the side of the belly. Mm -hmm. um, it's super apparent, or I've, seen, or I've seen some like splotching on the head. It's yeah. a definite blue. It's, yeah. 
So have so you this raised, is one of the yearling females. Yeah, have you raised any of those and noticed a trend in terms of clutches as far as what do you notice a, a variation in a clutch between um, that bluer stuff and the more green stuff? Not so much yet. I don't have that uh, okay. that sample time figured out yet. So this is one of my yearling females I held back from last year. Um, uh, last year, using rhinos. So yeah, give me a couple more years. We'll definitely have some uh, some data for you on mm -hmm. that. Yeah, man, they're so awesome. Yep. So much fun. So what's the uh what's up with the Russians, man? Yeah, okay. So Russians are the other species that I would say if I had to pick well, if I had to pick I do that, but if I had to pick two, it's rhinos and Russians all day. Um and it's kind of hard to describe what the draw is for them. It's kind of like, unless you've held one in your hands and just gotten to interact with it, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's difficult to describe, but the high contrast black and yellow is super cool. They have heavily keeled scales. That's super cool. They get to a, a really decent size. Um, and they're just all around docile. They're inquisitive here. I'm going to put this girl back and grab one of those guys. <laughs> I remember seeing a video at one point of of some some girl that I guess was was herping in an area that had Russians and she had a, a pretty decent sized adult and she's holding it and that thing is just chowing down on her arm. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's just holding it. It's just friggin' giving it everything it's got. So this is one of my females. Just to show you the size. I don't know how long she is. I don't measure, but Wow. Decent size. It's a big snake. A nice high yellow on her. Wow, that's beautiful. So cool. um, and these guys are, they'll eat uh, pretty much anything that you throw at them. Um, I'd say the majority of what I feed them is uh, like just wean rats or, or jumbo mice. Um, I've done chicken chicks, quail chicks. Um, I even had a friend that had chickens and they had some bantam chicks smaller and these things did eat whole bantam chicken eggs um i'd love to try some like frog legs or something i have not found a spot around me that has that yet but say walmart Check walmart our walmart, walmart man. Has frog legs yeah. I just bought yeah. a box. i'm not in the south either so i don't know if i'd have but, a, as much that's there. true i didn't think about us being in the south with the wall yeah. here's, the, here's the issue around the carom okay so yeah. i just bought a box of frog legs right yesterday and I went to go split them today because I cut them in half. And usually when I split them, I get about, I think, 26 or 28 individual legs. Mm -hmm. I pull out these ones from this box. And I swear there's a couple that are like bigger than my hand across. Yeah. Oh, wow. <laughs> They're huge, man. And instead yeah. of having all these smaller pairs, I get a handful of bigger pairs. And some mm -hmm. of these are so big, I don't have anything that can even eat something that size so i'm probably gonna end up thawing them out and just shaving off meat or something yeah jeez your I'm big like, your bigger contras could eat them the adult male yeah but literally i don't have anything else that can take these things man like even your other bigger, even your other yeah, contras they are huge the, le the legs are gigantic i'll have to send you a picture yeah. i mean we're talking like a solid like six inches across like is that even high. like just the half or like together together but even oh, like wow. a half, like it's still yeah. 
it's massive yeah. and so I'm, i was kind of irritated because it was like a i got less pairs than i normally do in a box and b they're so they're so freaking huge most of them that yeah. i can't even i can't even feed them off i mean probably the female jance and i could take one yeah but that would be a pretty substantial meal for her wow which actually wouldn't be necessarily be a bad thing wow that's that is yeah. surprising because you're jan that she's that's not a small snake like, like if, it were the, <laughs> if it were the male brettles no problem. Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. yeah. But yeah, you know, but your pi your python your pythons though are built to take some pretty hefty meals, you know. Like my I, I've had a pretty small carpet that I accidentally fed a large rat to, and like yeah, it it took a minute, it took a minute, but like, your pythons can take really big meals, like surprisingly. Colubra, it's a completely different story. They're not really built to take those. So massive meals yeah. you know but the the car like your pythons though those can they can take some pretty hefty meals, well i mean you look so. at the difference there i mean a lot of pythons are are sitting weight ambush predators so they're right they're, kind of, they're more geared towards being able to right while they while they can and then you have more active things like you know colubrids most of them right and russians and especially the climbers like yep. things that are climbing up in the trees, raiding nests, or or even ambushing birds in the trees. Like, yeah, they're not going to want a huge lump in there and still try to navigate that too. Mm -hmm. Right. Have you yeah. bred those? Have you bred Russian? Yeah. Meat? So I've the last couple of years, unfortunately, did not have success. But um, in 2019 was the last time I, I got a clutch and I have a holdback uh, from that. And really, it wasn't so much of them being difficult to breed. Um, that learning opportunity i had with the uh the rhino eggs dying from lack mm -hmm. of airflow that took out a clutch of of uh russian eggs for me a couple years ago because the year before i did the exact same thing the press and seal no no air holes and they did fine um but for some reason it took him out the uh the other time a couple years ago and then my mail was just a little bit skinny um coming out of that year so i didn't roommate him last year i gave him off and at one point i still tried um once he had regained to a healthy weight i tried throwing them together and this girl was building eggs building follicles for a little while no success on the clutch but everyone's now, how, healthy everyone's ready to go so how big are their clutches typically um are they like see, bigger clutches first... with smaller eggs or are they smaller clutches with so bigger. it's uh in my experience i i get like eight to ten eggs in a clutch okay so about average um, size and i guess actually eggs, one year like nothing crazy either way yeah so one year i did i did have um it was just five eggs in the clutch that year that the eggs died in incubation they were notably larger than the year before so okay. i'm not really sure what is what is driving that but it yeah vary. it's just it's odd that they're so keeled yeah, because when you see them like that, and you see sort of the glossiness of them and the light bouncing off the skin, yeah. you wouldn't think that they're keel. But it, Billy had one at Daytona at his table, and I took it out and played with it. And the first thing that surprised me was how keel they are. I mean, it's almost yep. not as much as Pituovas, but but definitely like up there. Yeah, and I always assumed they oh, were yeah, it's like smooth. It's crazy. Dude, I thought for sure you were going to be taking that one out for Billy at Daytona. He wouldn't sell it to me for a hundred bucks. So I had to ask. 
every time I asked him, he just like completely ignored me. <laughs> he didn't even respond. He to didn't. You. <laughs> like Billy, I was like Billy, man, nobody wants these rushers, man. Let me get one for a hundred bucks. Just, no response. <laughs> he just look at you and then t- start talking yep, to somebody yep. else. <laughs> he just smile at me and just keep going. So no, yeah. I've I've wanted yeah, some. And this really is another species time. I. I don't know why they're not more popular. I really don't get it. Like there's some, someone's got a bunch on morph market right now that have just been sitting there for a great price and they're not moving. So I'm I'm telling you, man, it's the, it's the not, it's the not flashiness of them. Yeah. That's the thing. People, yeah. People love bright colors. People love, you know, these vibrant colors. And like when you have a snake, that's mostly black. Like it's just, just a fancy Eastern King. Exactly. Yep. You know, like a lot of people look at it and be like, Bleh. you know, you have to have guys like us that appreciate this type of things. Like, man, I love my dark tone stuff. You know me, I'm a big dark, ground tone guy. I love ground tone animals, you know, like I'm not like bright colors are amazing, you know, but I love the stuff that's going to be nice and dark and for me, ground, it's just ground fact, colors, you know, it's just the fact that they come from a place that doesn't have a lot of herps to begin with. That's kind of yep. why I like the Dion's and stuff as well is like, they yeah. come from habitats that you don't like in on paper reptiles shouldn't be living in. Right. Yeah. But they're, they're perfectly designed for that kind of thing. And I just, I don't, I'm, I'm right there with you. I think they're awesome. Like I'd like those more than I like the Koreans. Oh yeah. No, yeah, I, I think don't Koreans have any are cool those, awesome. But... Yep. Yeah, and there are actually a couple morphs um, with the Russians. Like I think the, the wild type, especially the high yellow is always going to be my favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are, or amelanistics, pretty much the same thing, depending on what you want to call it. There are melanistics, so an all black, um, which looks pretty awesome. And there are azanthics as well. I think over in Europe, they're calling them aneries. Um, I think from what I know about anery and azanthic, azanthic is a more appropriate term since they are lacking the yellows instead of lacking reds. Um, but I'm not Travis. We'll let him uh, put his two cents on there sometimes yeah. he sends yeah. us a message after just about every episode yeah yeah i love it dude. <laughs> I, I, always wait, wrong. I always wait for travis's message after every episode just to kind right. of cue us in on a few things like yep. it's awesome I, I freaking love that guy man travis yeah. travis is freaking fantastic he's he's so great i love his i love his messages after every episode even if it's not a hey you're wrong it's a hey let me give you more information about yeah, this yeah, you know like yeah. yeah he's he's fantastic definitely one of my favorite people in the even hobby. if he's even if he's like hey you're wrong i'm like yes sir yeah you're right i know i'm sorry sorry okay but we love him no matter how many people who aren't doctors might disagree with him we're not even gonna get into that uh, good god uh, that guy oh so in oh. Uh, in this collection going forward um yeah i still have a variety of things and we can talk a little bit more about some of that but my focus is really going to be questions and I'll, I'll continue growing the the western hogs a little bit yeah, um, that's for the gonna... Russians. Like I, I mentioned earlier, like wild types, awesome. I'm not afraid of morphs though, so I actually am working on um, importing a group of of some various morph Russians from Canada. Well, let's. Um, well, if if anyone let's... if anyone's listening and they have a Russian that they would love to trade for five baby thorns grub rats, let me know. <laughs> Sorry, of course that was exactly when my internet was kind of spacing out but yeah what were you saying i said if anybody has a baby russian that they want to trade for five thorn scrub rats oh yeah up 
I'm your guy. There you go, man. But yeah, so since you brought up the hog nose snakes, I mean, let's mm-hmm. you know before we before we wrap this sucker up, you know, we got about twenty more minutes left in this in this thing. Let's talk about some hog nose snakes, sure. man. That's uh, they've been a so hog noses. Hognoses have been a love of mine for such a long time. I had a pair of Westerns for a long time, but I got rid of them in Texas when I started focusing more on colubrids. I'm trying to get a pair of normals now because I'm a very wild-type oriented guy, so I'm trying to get some normal Westerns. But let's talk about what you're what you're trying to work with, you know, on your on your Western hogs, man. Because I mean, those are yeah. those are freaking awesome animals, amazing. So animals, getting bro. into the Westerns was uh, actually a, a big decision for me because everything mm-hmm. else just being like ambient room temp, um, I had to decide to commit some some rack space to that higher hot spot i think i've yeah. got it set to like 86 to 87 degrees mm-hmm. um so the collection is definitely building now i did have my first clutch of hognose just from the ones that were old enough this year so i had some success in breeding and that was just a kind of female bred to an the male um mm-hmm. kind of just trying my hand to see if i can even do this yeah. um but as for what i've got growing up um i've got some stuff for the coral project toxic Ooh. um my ties and storm clouds those are the the four projects that i'm going to be working and those are all all double recessive so that's kind of the fun part about the hognose too is um it's almost all recessive and multi-recessive there's a lot of longevity to it a lot of um playing the odds and and I think that adds a lot of stability to that that market. If yeah, you know. no, absolutely. And I've only like of those morphs you've listed, I've heard of two of those. Okay. You know, the which, which ones are you unclear of? Okay, the condas, yeah. So I know condas and I know corals. Like, yeah. but even then coral glows, I don't really know the morphs behind them okay. i know condas are the one like recessive it's like, a, yeah it's like a, a partial yeah. reduction of the pattern and then the super form right. of the conda is a fully patternless yeah some on the head yeah those i know so when i was getting deep into them a little bit more the super condas were going for like three grand a pop okay you know yeah, so no, and there's just a couple hundred bucks the, yeah uh, things have changed super conda now yeah, things have t- changed a ton with those, but like anaconda hogs are like my favorite morph. I okay. love, and that yeah. and that's even that just just the normal anaconda, not right, not the supers. Like you know, because a patternless animal doesn't do a whole lot for me personally, sure. but I love the look of a normal conda, and I think that adds so much into some of your morphs, especially like your albinos and coral glows. Yeah. So, but like, I don't, the coral glows, I don't know like what, because I know it's, I'm pretty sure it's a double recessive, correct? Yeah. So the corals are a morphs. combination of albino and lavender, which are both okay. recessive traits. And those okay. albinos, the chognos, there's some, some high red lines or higher yellow mm-hmm. lines. Oh yeah, and for sure. Lavender is of course more of a purple lavender color. Um, mm-hmm. Some are even more pink. Uh, and there are some lines of lavenders where honestly it just, it looks pretty brown. It's, it's uh, <laughs> I'm not always uh, as easily convinced there is lavender in it, but it is. Um, so right. again, just variation no, within those recessive traits. Is no one breeding just straight reds anymore? Uh, um, there's the raging reds line that uh, mm-hmm. I can't remember the guy's name, but someone down at Daytona apparently had a lot of those. And man, those things are 
absolutely I missed insane. It. I don't know. I just like I see yeah. there's a couple years ago, I want to say maybe it was a Columbia, like someone had a table and they had two two reds on it. And I was like, yeah. that's that's all I want. Just like in Paul Pythons, like a pastel or a Mojave. Like, yep. And you can find that. There's definitely it's probably gonna have some heads for something, but you can yeah. find some awesome red animals that even aren't even like the, the raging reds because you're going to pay like 1500 bucks for one yeah, of these no. raging reds that's a normal Dude, just a regular red, red line. good for me hognose yeah. snake hognose morphs are expensive man it's like there there is a, a place you can sink some money for sure yeah they are definitely a good like if you want to get into a morph project for an animal that doesn't take up a lot of space yeah. hogs are a very good investment and yeah investment they sell, species they sell well um yeah. you know like i mentioned earlier i'm getting some and I feel like I'm probably going to be sitting on a lot of babies for a long time when that eventually happens. Cause I don't know if mm-hmm. anyone's going to want them, but I want to play with them. So yeah, <laughs> it's, it's um, funny too. Cause had you told me, I don't know, 20 years ago that hog noses would be as big as they are. I probably would have yeah. kind of laughed a little bit and like, yeah. yeah, okay. Whatever. Yeah. Where did it all come from? It seems like everything just popped up almost overnight. Just, it's 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 moving so yeah. fast like there's so yeah. many morphs now that i just keep seeing yeah. pop up that i've never heard of before and i'm sure it's just combos of of existing stuff but yeah yep. yeah that's... oftentimes when there's a new double recessive combo it's getting a new name or when it's got um there's only a couple incomplete dominant traits again the conda is a incomplete dominant pattern trait or the arctic gene is um it's a little bit more of a a color gene um but it has a a super form expression as well. So anytime you okay. take one of those like recessive or double combos or people are starting to get close to triple recessive, it's got a new name. Then you throw a con <laughs> name, throw the Arctic in there. It's got another new name. So um yeah, I even get lost in some of that still. Yeah. But what were what were the other two morphs that you're kind of focusing on with hogs? Um, yeah, so there's the coral project. There's toxic, which is a combination of the toffee belly and the axanthic genes. So it makes a okay. really kind of gray animal. Yeah, um, I know that I've heard of the toffee belly. Okay. Yeah. Then the mai tais are a combination of toffee belly and sable. Sable is a really uh, uh, darkening okay. gene. Yeah. So it makes this like uh, really kind of orangey brown, almost like cafe color. And then my favorite is the storm cloud, um, which is a combination of sable and azanthic, which wow. these babies come out essentially blue and black. Um, oh, that's pretty. Those pretty I think striking. I have seen, and those are. Those yeah, are- there's one on Morph Market yeah. right now, just a, a normal storm cloud male. He's going for like 6500 bucks. So Ooh. you're not seeing too many of those right now. Ooh. Are you complaining about condo prices right now? Are you kidding me? Dude, I'm telling you, man. I can get a kick ass condo for that amount of money. Oh, yeah. Dude, hognose condos for that amount of money. When it comes to hognose morphs, man, they're taking the lead as far as like. And that and it's and it's well deserved because hognose babies are not easy, man. Mm-hmm. Hognoses are not easy snakes. Once they're established, they're great, but the babies can be a pain in the freaking I don't know ass. They're as bad man. as they used to be, though. I think they they've kind of come a long way with the. I think it's because people have kind of figured it out. They figured you know? the tricks out, yeah. They figured the tricks out, but you gotta put you gotta put the effort into it. You know what I mean? Like you 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 gotta go through the steps because they're not most hognose babies aren't gonna take a frozen thought pink right off the rip. Nope. Yeah, like, some of the techniques just, people are having luck with these days is if you're just doing like an unscented 
frozen thought pinky um you sometimes even scratch up the face a little bit to get some of those yeah. juices going but you dip it in water and with that bead of water on the nose of the pinky you touch that to the mouth of the hog and let it start drinking off of that yeah and that like gets that Jacobson's organ going they get the scent they get the flavor and then they'll sometimes eat off of that yeah um, but yeah some some people try tuna scenting salmon scenting uh, frog or toad if you can get it um I, I'm still struggling with some of the ones that I've hatched out this year and hoping that I figure that yeah. out because I've, I've started getting into the hogs. So I need to uh, yeah. make sure I can actually raise the babies. Yeah, man. Hogs are not, are not easy, but when it comes to those morphs, man, like, and again, I think it has a lot to do like the money worth behind it. And again, I hate talking about things with like, you know, I hate being like, oh, this is valuable because of X, Y, Z, you know, like that's sure. not why any of us do this, but you know, let's face it, it has, it has, it plays a factor, you know, but like when it comes to hog noses, you know, I think the biggest things that go into the price uh, aspect of them is the fact that babies are not, are not easy to get going, but it's also these, like you said, most of them are recessive. Mm-hmm. You know, it takes some time and it takes some effort to get yep. some of these combos. You know, it can take up to, you know, to get a double recessive, it can take up to nine years. You know what I mean? To get to produce that double recessive mutation. So it's like, it's, it's, it's an investment for the person that first produced it, you know? So it's like, yeah, it has that tag because they're one of very few species that have mostly recessive traits when it comes to the morph side of things. You know, yeah. even even normals now, hog noses, hog nose snakes, as far as normal goes, are probably the most expensive normals out there. You know, like, the yeah, you're form. looking at two to three hundred bucks on average, um, maybe yeah. a little lower if you find a good deal. Yeah. You know, like normal hogs are not cheap, you know, like that's, you know, you can pick up a lot of, you know, I picked up South Florida yellow rats for 50 bucks a pop at Daytona. You'll never find a hog nose for that, even if it's not het for nothing, you know, like yeah. a baby hog is never going to go anywhere close to that. You know, that's just be concerned if you find it for that price and don't take it home. Exactly. Like it, it, it's, yeah, it, it's, it really says something Like hog noses are just kind of their in their own category of colubrids, man. Like, and then you can forget about it. If you get into Southern and Easterns that are established on rodents, Oh yeah, yeah. you can, you're paying five, six hundred dollars, you know, yeah. for something like that. And then and those don't have any morphs. You know, well, no, that's that's a lie. Um there, got some there's albino stuff yeah, there's some there. albino and there's oh, also albino southerns. The... There's albino okay. southerns that um God, I can't remember his name. He's like Kevin, the Kevin Fisher. Kevin Fisher, yeah. He works with albino southerns and Lord, I don't even want to know what he would move those for. But yeah. he's kind of the king of the non-Western hognose snakes, you know, in captivity. Um, but again, and that's all because, like, those are even harder than Westerns, mm-hmm. you know, to get them going, especially on rodents, you know. Like, it is it is very hard to get Southern and Eastern hogs going on non-rodent or on rodent, you know, diets. Like, you know, it's – so hognoses are just kind of in their, in their own category, man. Like, they're – they're awesome though. Like I love hogs. They have been always will be one of my favorite species of snakes, like bar none period. Like they're, they're amazing. But look, your rambling caused him to freeze. I'm sorry. 
I ramble. <laughs> I ramble when I get excited about stuff. Look at his. He's disappointed. <laughs> Is that all my fault? Yep. All right. Oh. <clears throat> He'll pop back on in a second. Yep. He dropped, dropped out again. Yeah. I'm going to talk about feeders. Yeah. I'm about to have to go grab my phone charger. My thing's dropping down to 7%. Right. Enough of this heterodon talk. Come I enjoyed on, my hogs when I had Come them. On, I like, no, I enjoyed them. They were fun. They they are cool. You have and that's but that's the thing with hogs is you have you have to like them. That little male was trip, man. Was yeah, so... yeah. My male was the same way, dude. He was tiny and he was full of piss and vinegar, and he only ate when he wanted to. Like it was, they you you have to like hognose snakes to keep them. Like that's just that's just it. You back? Can you hear us? Back, yep. All right, cool. <laughs> so let's we gotta let's touch on feeders for for a few minutes. Yeah, because you're doing your own. Uh, my own mice, just mice. I would love to do a few rats as well, um, but I decided just to focus on the mice because that's the majority of what my needs are. And I know with the rats present, uh, the mice can tend to get a little little intimidated or they, they just don't breed as well with rats present. So um, huh. I had this eight by eight shed in my yard that I really, really wasn't using for anything. So I decided to um, convert that into mouse breeding uh, with actually just three like laboratory style cages in my snake room. And man, it does, it is, doesn't matter if you're cleaning those things, full bedding change every day, like yeah. you're not dodging that smell. And yeah. even just with yeah. like three males and, and six females, it was noxious walking into this room. So external shed, much better. Um, but of course, being in Michigan, uh, it gets some decently hot days in the summer and, and some way too cold days in the winter. So I had to climate control that thing. Old, um, insulation throughout the entire thing. Um, I've got a, an oil filled heater in there. That's on a thermostat. I've got an air conditioner on there. That's on a thermostat, like just one of those little, uh, mobile units that has the hose that goes out a vent in the wall. And then you've got to ventilate it as well. You've got to keep the air moving and that can actually do a lot for cooling the animals as well. Um, so inside that shed, I have an oscillating fan that's mounted constantly circu circulating the air that's within the shed and hooked up to a thermostat. I also have a a brone like through wall bathroom fan. So anytime it's over like 80 degrees in there, that thing kicks on and just pulls air through. Um, and then on top of that, an additional uh, ventilation fan that's just hooked up to a timer. So it runs for 15 minutes a couple times a day. So um, I know you can definitely have some success with, with much less than that. Um, mice can probably get quite a bit warmer. We give them credit for. But yeah. I, with the setup, I don't know. I just, I just really like kind of automating the setup and and letting it take care of the animals um, best yeah. I can. So that shed stays within seventy four to eighty three degrees at all times, um, and yeah. they produce great in there. Yeah, Ours get pretty gonna, toasty. Was, yeah, I was gonna say you're downplaying it a little bit with your Michigan winters. <laughs> oh yeah, no, yeah, no it, like, it was all freeze to death. There's yeah, no way they survived. No. I was I was born in Wisconsin, which is right across the pond, 
And uh, the day I was born in January, it was 30 below. Yeah. Um, so like, it's not, yeah, that's, no, that's it's, it's not, fair to it's not always going to be that cold, but yeah, no, no, I mean, no absolutely not. But like, they're not going to make it through the winter on their own. You're looking at singles to zeros, you yes. know, from January to February. Like it's not, no, that's, that's not, I that's can't not, even, I can't fathom 30 below. Dude, the day I was born, my grandma, literally until the day she died, she complained about having to go to the hospital the day I was born because it was wow. like, it was like freeze your lungs cold the day I was born. It was literally 30 below zero. So I, I can't I remember one 30 below zero day and it was actually while I was still in zookeeping and I took care of the snow leopards God. and we had to, we had to give supplemental heat to the snow leopards on that day. <laughs> so that's really saying something. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for the mouse yeah. setup, um, I, I really old style freedom breeder rack that a buddy of mine's letting me use to uh, get this thing kicked off. And um, so it's the FB10 tubs. And I started out with one male, five females for each tub. Um, and for the majority of those tubs, they're all the females are still cranking. Sometimes some of them just don't produce. So it's good to have a little redundancy there. Mm -hmm. um, but I've got, I don't know, somewhere around 35 breeding tub set up that way a couple hundred uh neos per week so it's doing pretty well this time of year yeah what are and you yeah, doing for diet um i use kalmbach the 23 percent protein diet so it's a rodent block and then i supplement with um sunflower seeds i just basically every week when i clean i'm putting in some sort of treat whether it's the sunflower seeds mm -hmm. or cheerios or dried mealworms or soldier black soldier mm -hmm. fly larva um, yeah, I think Black Soldier Fly Yeah, it's a good fat boost as well. So for those those breeding moms, mm -hmm. um, the fat really seems to help. High in calcium too. Yep. Yeah, we're a big Cheerio component for our yeah. for our group, man. They love those Cheerios. But yep. man, Justin, that's some that's the level we need to get on, man, because these uh this rodent bill is kind of kind of killing me. We got to get our colony up to up to. A little bit, a little bit more production, man. Because trying, yeah, man. This, that's that's the one thing that I I look forward to with cool down each year is like I can take some pressure off off having to feed stuff, and we can actually yeah. fill the freezer. Uh, all your rodents, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, I, I, last year I did not plan plan well last year, and I was like, I got eighty pinkies that'll last me. I blew through that, and like, not oh no, out. yeah. <laughs> Especially two weeks that's and, two weeks yeah what were they thinking how did i how did i possibly think this was enough yeah so i'm I'm glad to be producing the mice i definitely produce more than what i need at this point so i've got a, a local buddy that's actually got a, a whole huge customer base he does rodents and snakes full time so um i wholesale any of my surplus to him that's not going in my own freezer and it works out yeah and your that's ratios awesome, you said it's one male to five females one male to five yep in a in an fb10 tub yeah it gets if all five of those females are producing well it it gets pretty crowded i think where some of those smaller babies are getting a little smothered so um one to three would probably be more ideal if if it's uh especially in the it seems like the spring and the fall everyone is doing a lot better with production than summer yeah. and winter it backs off a little bit um yeah and i don't really have a super set tracking system for when i'm retiring groups or starting new ones mm -hmm. um, i'd say i almost just more go by the look of the group um you can see when they start to get it's usually going to be about 
the six month mark when mm-hmm. that that uh, production is going to drop. Um, so pull the males first, let those females get those last litters out. Um, and then those last litters are great ones to hold back and start raising up more colonies from. But yeah, um, yeah every so often, if it seems like I got a couple cages retiring, I just hold back some some weaned babies and start some new colonies, raise them up. Yeah, that's what we were talking about that when we were cleaning mice last weekend because we we clean on Sundays and I was telling them it was like I usually so I'd have like a memo I have my notepad app on here and I would yeah. keep track I'd have like because we have a uh, two stacks of four on smaller like cat litter pan sized tubs yeah and then we have another rack with concrete mixing tubs in it and I would keep track at one point I was, and I really fell off the wagon of doing it because yeah. I put a new group I in about doing something like that <laughs> and I it. I just lot, I need to so. I need to do a spreadsheet or something where I can tell when I actually like a do something that's a little more organized and b actually stay on top of it, right? Because there's some groups in there I'm like these are probably due to be done, um, but then I'm like because sometimes I do move groups around because I'll have one group that just doesn't do well and we end up having a bloodbath. And so then I end up moving something else into those tubs or moving a group that was below them into that slot and then starting a new one at the bottom. And then I forget to keep track of that one that I moved up there. And so I'm like, I yeah. don't remember how old these are. Just I got to yeah, do a lot of the rotating and moving of the tubs, too. So I feel yeah. like any sort of spreadsheet, it would just be a nightmare after a while. But yeah. Yeah. And I think that's why just kind of going off the look, like if something looks pretty old, like eh, go ahead and stick that in the sure. in the jar per or se. if you notice most of the most are smaller than you're used to it's yeah they're, they're probably starting to drop off and right well i think you can also sort of tell because it seems like i don't know i don't know how to describe it it's almost like their coat gets thinner yeah a little bit of alopecia that hair starts to thin out yeah like it just doesn't it doesn't look as like they've they're keeping up with it as much as they were and it right. they just look a little rougher and that's kind of how I, and same thing with production when they, when I'm noticing litters are like three or four pinkies at a time, it's like, okay, it might be time. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Now we've been having problems with stuff with like bad growths on them and stuff. Like when they get to a certain age and it's like, man, if we were to call this a couple of weeks earlier, like this could have been a good feeder. But oh, now right. it's got this nasty. You're not quite sure what is it? What is yeah, it? I'm yeah. weird about the feet nose. Yeah, yeah, I don't. I wouldn't no, want to feed something with a it. nasty lump on it. You know, like uh, it's yeah. one thing if it's it's one thing if it got kind of attacked by the other. It's got kind of that we call it the scaly backs. You know, like the mm-hmm. ones that didn't take Maybe. well to the group. You know, and we'll call those like that's that's an easy one to feed off. But if something has this weird growth lump on it, like. Mm, really want to feed that i, to I mean animals, i fed yeah. the southern pine one that had last weekend that had like a smaller lump not like that we had one that had like that was, was like that was nasty attached to it like it was sure, nasty. handle that stuff better than we're gonna give them credit for yeah, but we've got plenty yeah, of healthy available feeders so why risk it yeah it just it goes it gets tossed in the woods for something to eat yeah <laughs> Keeping the local raccoons and stuff well-fed, that's for sure. Yeah, and that's exactly what I do. Like, stuff that sits in a cage, if something doesn't get eaten, like, dude, I'll start outside and mm-hmm. something something eats it, you know? Like, even my, like, my frog leg bones. So, like, I go through my frog legs 
and I'll cut, I'll chop off all the meat of one for my water snakes, and I just take the bones and throw them outside, and like they, they get. Yep. They yeah, get I live out. surrounded by woods, and, and yeah. yeah, it's a nice, nice garbage disposal to uh, yeah. feed the ecosystem. Yeah, no waste, man. Like I don't like mm-hmm. throwing anything like that away. Like, yeah, is it kind of gross? Yes, but like I don't want to throw it in my garbage because. It's gonna it was yeah it's gonna stink number one but number two it's like you know that's that's something that could be eaten by something else no i don't want to feed to my snakes but you know a raccoon will chomp down on what's left of those or like one of the local cats which i'm not an advocate of house cats being outside but we have a group of cats that hang around my yard and I know those things will be more than happy to eat my frog like leftovers so <laughs> that's have you had so we have like the on the bigger tubs where we have a decent sized group in there? I have I think it's usually two or three males to I don't know at least ten females. Have you done anything with bigger groups like that? And have you, if so, have you noticed any issues in terms of production dropping off? Because I'm trying to I'm trying to find that sweet spot. So I'm trying to have more than sort of what I have in the smaller tubs, which is typically one to four females or so one male to four females Mm -hmm. and then i have those mixer tubs that are a little bigger um and some of those groups are still a little young like they haven't really sort of hit their peak yet in terms of like regular litters and stuff but i'm wondering if having a bigger group like that maybe ends up curbing production a little bit i don't um, I think it it would depend on a lot of factors. Like in some ways, so I haven't done much with multiple males just because the FB10s is the max size that I have and, and fit in yeah. much, a much larger group isn't going to go well. Um, but just from what I know about their production, um, having multiple males can actually be an aid in production because sometimes the, the sperm count just isn't super great. For right. A single male. And that's, that's the reason I, um, I wanted to have multiple males in there. Cause yep. you just yeah, have a one male in there. Like, he's going to, yeah. he's going to freaking wear himself out. Like, right. You know, he's not going to get the job done with, with more than, you know, maybe a couple females at a time. Yeah. So that was and my thinking with having at least two in there. I, I, ideally I think three is probably better just because I notice if you have two, one ends up becoming subordinate to the other one. Yes. And if you have yeah. a third one in there, that kind of cancels that out a little bit. I will still find that there will be one male out of the three, typically that, that kind of gets to be the, the bottom of the totem pole. Yeah. Um, so I've also heard male. that as far as having multiple males goes, um, there are uh, some situations where if a male mouse can smell the urine of another mouse, especially more of a dominant one, like it um, so you're essentially just having uh, additional males in there eating up food and taking space um, okay. without contributing to the breeding. So, um, yeah, it's really tough to say in the setups we have whether it's going to be ben- beneficial or not. Um, well, well, we'll have to experiment with that because we yeah. do have – so I we had a, a group that just – there was – it went awry and we'd lost a, a lot of them uh, okay. in that group. Like they ended up being just freaking cannibal fest. Um, were they raised together? Like, yeah, yeah, they, all the groups that I okay. put together, yeah, I try that, to raise them together as best as helps. I can, and then when they get to a certain age, I'll kind of mix them up a little bit just to sort of diversify so they're not all just siblings together constantly. Oh, I see, direct yeah. siblings, um, right? So like, we grow, we grow them out, put them all together, yep. And then once yeah. they get to sort of that adult size, then I'll put them in groups because that kind of gives me a better idea of how okay. many males females I have because I've made right. the mistake of, of calling a bunch of males and then realizing 
oh, I only had one now in that group and I've got all these yeah. females and it's like, I can't split them up. I can't put ratios together. Like I, I screwed myself. Um, but what we have, we have one of those mixer tubs is now empty. So maybe with this next batch, Jake, we might try one male and then do like six or seven females instead mm -hmm. of, you know, two males to 10 or whatever. I don't know. I'm just, I'm constantly trying to, try yeah. to find the sweet spot. I mean, I've had, I've heard of people having success with the two to 10 as well. So it's so many factors, even beyond what we're talking about, that could be contributing to success of it. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Maybe I having a variety of setups and it all, it all evens out and you get pretty decent production across mm -hmm. the board. So, yeah. And just hearing your numbers of what you, you know, the, the amount of tubs that you keep with the numbers that you keep, you know, I think definitely hearing that, I think we definitely need to up our, you know, breeding. Yeah. We need to make more racks for one so we can hold more. Cause like, you know, space is limited, but like, yeah, I think we need to up some, up some numbers for sure, you know, in order to feed, you know, both of ours, because between Justin and I, man, we have nearly 200 snakes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, I've, I've got about, uh, 40 plus hatchlings that come through yeah. and yeah hatchlings are just eating every single pinky you can produce yep. so. yeah yeah no we're breeding and i try and get i try and get what i can from us like i basically all i've gotten is pinkies but like dude I, at this point like i'm i'm beating i'm being eaten out of house and home with these mm -hmm. glutes man i sprint i spent 900 dollars on my last my last rodent order you know getting stuff and that was two, three months ago. And I just, I'm about out of jumbo adult mice now. And I'm like, yeah. oh my God, like, I can't, I can't do this again. <laughs> like, I don't. Now, do you do pretty much just jumbo mice for your, or do you, do you do any rats? Uh, so not for, for breeding, my, just for feeding them. So for my colubrids, so I did a lot, especially since I'm buying a lot of rodents now i try to do a little bit of math and talking to you know somebody i respect the most as far as pituophis goes because my pituophis eat more than anybody else oh, yeah you know my i have a lot of southeastern rat snakes so i pretty much give them one prey item that's sufficient and then move on from there but my pits they need something a little bit more and i did some math and looking at and it turns out two extra large mice are actually cheaper than one medium rat for sure, um, but what do you think of the fat content difference with those old, those old breeder mice that just have all those fat stores versus like mm -hmm. a, a young lean rat? Yep. Well, see, then that's what I mean is like, so, and that's why also I went with that because in my opinion, it seems like these retired breeder mice, they would still have less fat than a single medium rat. A medium, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, a medium, yeah, no, anything smaller than a medium, that's a different story, but like with yeah. your big pits, you know, like it, in my opinion, two smaller mice is going to be a hell or two jumbo mice is going to be a healthier meal than one medium rat. Okay. Yeah. At least, at least in my opinion, because rats hold a lot more fat, you know, and pituophis right. in general are better off eating multiple smaller items because they are nest raiders. You know, a lot of, a lot, you know, the gopher snakes, they get called gopher snakes because they invade gopher burrows and they eat up all the babies in a, burrow you know they're they're nest raiders you know naturally granted for rodents you know so i've always thought that the jumbo mice was a better route to go you know feeding two versus one single medium rat you know so that's why i've kind of gone the route i have in feeding so all my adult pets get fed two 
jumbo mice, you know, every week to 10 days. And yeah, other than one, because all she wants to eat is pricking rats. So she gets medium rats because she won't eat mice, you know, but she gets one medium rat. Um, but with that, I've also seen a great deal of growth. Like when I switch mm. everything over to two to two jumbo mice versus one medium rat, the growth rate was exponential, you know, and like oh, they, interesting. a lot of them exploded doing that, which kind of, I wasn't expecting that. I was kind of expecting them to kind of maintain, but the ones that I switched over, like they just, they blew up in size and like they're maintaining very, very well. Um, so I really prefer to go with the two extra large mice. Now, granted, you know, I have a six foot yellow rat. He eats one jumbo mice, you know, about every seven to 10 days. Yeah. Rico. And, uh, that sustains him perfectly, you know, like he's, he's great, but it's the pituophis that eat a lot more because those higher metabolisms that like, yeah. I, I prefer, you know, I talking to Chris, you know, he said it's better to do smaller meals more often versus your bigger meals less often, you know? Sure. Um, so with that said, you know, rats in general have a higher fat content. Um, so I've changed up even with my carpets, you know, I try not to feed rats unless I'm trying to fatten up, you know? So once they get past the point of eating a, eating a extra large mouse, you know, whereas, you know, with carpets, I don't like feeding multiples as much, you know, Gluberts, different story. I put a couple down and like they rock and roll with that carpets naturally like to eat those bigger meals left less often. So pretty much all my adult carpets, unless I'm fattening up, they actually get quail now. Um, oh, yeah. Because quail are also, you know, a, a bit cheaper than rats. Rats are stupid expensive for some reason. Um, so I've tried to cut out rats pretty much all together until I'm coming up on breeding season. I want to fatten up some of the, my female carpets. Um, but yeah, I pretty much, I tried to cut out rats for pretty much all, all aspects. Um, I think mice in general are healthier, you know? And, um, yeah, I've se I have seen a difference with my pituophis feeding to, you know, jumbo mice versus the, um, the medium rats because it's, it puts less of a bulge in them, you know, for one. And I know colubrids really don't, you know, the whole bulge thing is not, is not that big of a deal with them sure. you know, to sustain. Um, so I'd really try and keep, you know, meals appropriately sized and I'll, I'll do multiple items before I give them something big. Um, you know, and that's, that also goes for one of my gray rats. She was throwing up medium mice, but she was eating fuzzies fine. You know, I skip yeah. I skip sizes because I think it's kind of unnecessary. You know, your small mice, your smaller mice are pretty close to fuzzy mice, but your big small mice are closer to mediums. So I kind of cut yeah. out smalls. I go from fuzzy to mediums. So I I'll double up on fuzzies for a couple weeks, you know, to a couple months before I upgrade to a medium mouse because that's just what works for me. But you know, I've noticed, you know, I tried to jump a gray rat to from a fuzzy to a medium and she was big enough, but she started throwing up the mediums because it was a little too big, but she would eat two fuzzies. So I upped her to two fuzzies for a couple months and then start feeding her mediums after that. And then she was good. You know, she's slamming mediums now, no problem. So that's just, you know, I, I think multiple small items is a lot better than one big one when it comes to colubrids. Carpets are a completely different story. You know, you can give them a really big meal and they'll probably be okay. 
uh, colubrids really not the case. And, um, so that's kind of the route I go. I really tried to cut out rats. I, I have cut out rats completely for my colubrids and the stuff that will eat nothing but rats. And that is one, one Florida pine that has been a thorn in my side, but she eats. So, uh, I accept it. You know, she eats a medium rat. Yep, just got to feed them what they want to eat sometimes. Yeah. You know, so, and I'm okay with that. And I would rather feed one medium rat versus two small rats, you know, again, because just because of fat content. And that's, you know, maybe I'm just full of it, but like just feeling rats in general, comparatively to mice, you know, like you feel a small rat, it's very soft. It's very mm -hmm. mushy to me versus a jumbo mouse it's much more it feel it feels much more lean it's not as it's not as mushy you know from what i can feel and to me that goes into fat content um so that's just that's my opinion and from what i have been doing with my animals it seems to have done very very well um especially for a few for the breeder females that are coming up um and again it's cheaper two extra large yeah. mice are cheaper than one medium rat and yeah that is for sure if it's healthier and cheaper, you can sign me right up. So, <laughs> um, that's just, that's again, that's just work for me. I'm not saying that's what right. That's what's right. Cause one of the most successful Pituophis breeders out there um, feeds large rats to her big Pituophis once a week. And, mm. you know, I, that seems like a lot to me, but that's, you know, to each of their own. Um, so there's a lot of ways you can do it, but, you know, Pituophis being ne the nest raiders that they are naturally, I think multiple small prey items are a much healthier and more natural route to go. And, um, you know, talking about being natural is kind of funny since we keep snakes in boxes. Um, sure. but when you keep snakes in boxes, you know, we have to do what we can to try and keep it as natural as possible. And I think that's a good way to do it is you know, with your prey that you feed. So. Yeah. And the proof's in the longevity, I think. Yeah, no, um, absolutely. And that, and that made, we're also really figuring it out because I feel like a couple of years ago, um, it was much more common for everybody to feed single larger items, but I yeah. feel like across the board, all species, there's much more of a conversation these days about feeding multiple smaller items more frequently. Yeah. I think that's, that's probably a lot easier on the, the liver as well. Not having to have as, as a hunk of protein, um, mm -hmm. to attack it once. So, yeah. and it's also like a, you know, I always think of the aspect of like, you know, none of the, none of these things want to be digesting basically constantly. And mm -hmm. you have the metabolism of a pituophis, like if you give them, you know, a bigger item once a week, they're basically going to be in a constant mode of digestion. You know, right. those smaller items a little bit more frequently, they're going to digest them a little faster and uh, you can give them a couple of days of getting that poop out of their system and then feed them again versus, you know, something bigger. It's going to take longer to digest. And by the time they digest it, you know, you're going to be feeding them again. So, you know, I don't I don't think that's a comfortable for the snakes. You know, I like I like to have my snakes cleaned out before I feed them again, you know, so. You'd be a great condo breeder. <laughs> no, no, I, 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 I would not. All right. Well, we're at the 215 mark. Where can people get a hold of you if they have any questions about rhinos, Russians, or any of the other uh, cool stuff you're working with? 
Yeah, as far as social media, I'm just on Instagram, not on Facebook. Um, so I'm at Handmade Herps, all lowercase. Um, it's a good spot to see just photos of everything else I've got going on in the collection. DM me, reach out to me there, even if you had just if you're just curious about the species. Um, I have a morph market account as well. Not a ton of stuff actually makes it to morph market. I feel like more commonly people are reaching out on Instagram and it goes there, but um, you can occasionally see stuff posted there and my contact info is there on my, my morph market page, handmade herbs as well. So if you're not on Instagram, feel free to reach out to me that way. Just please don't take my phone number and sign me up for spam. Cause... <laughs> oh, elections and we're all. You there? Oh. Yep, I'm here. No yeah, spam. No spam calls. Correct. That's that's the one rule. <laughs> Seems like a pretty solid one. Yeah, that's awesome, man. No, Sid, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. Justin, thanks for having me. me. Yeah, Justin messaged me. He said you're coming on. Now I was like, ooh, yeah, I'm excited for this. Rhino. Yeah, no, and uh, you talking to you and Justin, man. I've always been kind of partial. You know, I don't keep either one. I'm on the I'm on the list to get some barons here soon. He's he's a uh, barons guy. Yeah, but man, I'm not gonna lie. Like it's mostly at this point, it's mostly I just like messing with you. But man, your rhinos are freaking cool, man. Like, oh, dude, they're so cool. But at the same token, like I feel like Justin and I bounce off each other very well of keeping similar stuff, but yet different. Right. Uh, so, you know, I, I I'm kinda gonna go more of the barons are out because, you know, they're they're just freaking awesome. I'm let Justin handle the rhinos. But uh yeah, no, man. Between you and Justin and you know, everybody else loving the rhinos, you've really got me kinda low key wanting some. But uh yeah, they're they're freaking awesome. They're worth it, yep. Yeah, I love every time I go into Justin's room, the first thing I look at is those bio G's with those rhinos in it, man, because they're always out, they're always they're always awesome and handling them is it's just amazing. They're they're yep. such they're such awesome animals. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, this episode was brought to you by blackboxcages.com. Check them out. Uh, keep an eye out for the video on building an ext four for the Ackies. Uh, once again, not sure exactly how I'm going to go about releasing them. I kind of don't want to put them out there, like do the assembly one, and then a week later put out the lighting one. So those two will probably go up and then the actual like setting up of the cage itself will be its own thing sort of after the fact. So, cause there's going to be a lot of editing and stuff involved too. And if you, if you guys know me, you know that I absolutely hate editing videos. So, well, if you need any help recording like that, hit me up. I'll come out. I'm probably going to have to have you help me get that other cage out and put this one in and have you take the other one back. Yeah. Oh yeah. That, yeah. that I knew was coming. Yeah. yeah we'll that. figure that I out. Need, I need that cage anyways. Cause uh, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of stuff that I could use some space for. So. Yeah. So keep an eye out for that. Uh, and then check out Steve snake and his venom hot sauce, Steve snake Check him out on Facebook and Instagram. And uh, he posts videos and pictures of all the stuff he's doing and, things he's pulling out of people's yards to, to relocate and all that good stuff. It's pretty cool. So uh, PJ, once again, thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thanks for uh, having we'll me. Guys. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll be back for snakes and stogies Monday. I believe Phil is still 
intact after the storm. Pretty sure he didn't get the his his place didn't get leveled. Yeah, um, um, I think South Florida was pretty okay. There's a lot of a lot of Western Western Florida that got it pretty yeah. bad, but uh, yeah. South Florida was pretty good. So Corn Stars, we got some stuff we're working on lining up. Chondrocast. There's there's oh. there's an episode in the works there. Oh. So there Mike Cuppins can stop sending me little tombstone pictures with the Condracast logo on it, and that'd be <laughs> could finally get him to shut up. Yeah, yeah, no, it'll be good. Yeah. Um. So be on the lookout for those. Yeah. Uh. Everyone, have a good evening. Yeah. Thanks so much, PJ. We really appreciate it, man. Yep. Thank you. Have a good one, guys. Later.